Hello listeners and welcome again to Laps Game Radio. Uh, we are going to go straight into our tuned in section, which is an opportunity for us to catch up with one another and find out what games we might have finished recently or games that we've just spent a bit of time with. I'm Lee Howard and I'm joined today by Mark H. Hello. Kevin Moore. Hi. And uh, we've got our first uh, listener guest, and that is my good buddy, Michael McKenzie. How do you? Now, because um, we've been off air for a little while, I think some of us have got a bit more productive in their game plan than others. And I know that you've been quite busy, Mark. So do you want to start us off? So I moved flat recently and was without internet for quite a while. So I didn't have uh, any distractions and managed to sink my teeth into a few um, single player games that I'd had sitting around that I've been neglecting. Um, the main one I've been playing um, while, while I've been away is uh, The Witcher 3. Uh, have any of you guys played any of The Witcher games at all? I have. I'm actually playing The Witcher 3 at the moment. It's it's outstanding, isn't it? It, it is. It's, 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 it it's is. incredible. It's one of the best open world RPG games I've ever played. But it, it handles things in a way that other open world uh, games kind of struggle with. Like Skyrim is an incredible open world, but struggles sometimes to have a story that's really genuinely engaging. Uh, and a lot of the side quests are kind of just like, you know, go to this dungeon, collect this thing. The Witcher manages to address those problems by having not only a really, really engaging campaign, like main story, but all of the side quests, even ones where you'll need to go off and, and do something menial, will have some dialogue or some cutscene attached to it that just adds to the story and adds to the feeling of uh, the situation that this world is in. And how do you feel about, about the story, Michael? Well, I'm not actually sure how far I am into it. I've probably sunk maybe about 20 to 25 hours into it, and I, I still have this feeling of really only scratching the surface. I've just been reunited with Triss, who's a character from the previous two games. Hmm. And yeah, I, I don't really want to say too much about the story at the moment because I don't really have much of a feel for where it's going. Yeah. But the thing that has really impressed me about it is that for all that it's this huge, expansive open world game, you never feel overwhelmed. You never feel lost. No. I mean, it throws a lot of things at you. A lot of... you'll Once you get out into the main open world area, the first area that you're in, and you start exploring, you'll see lots and lots of little markers pop up on the map with areas of interest to go to. But in like a stark contrast to something like uh, the Assassin's Creed series, where they are all just menial little collect loads of collectibles sort of quests that don't have anything important to do these most of these little markers and side quests and things like that have something important to say to the story and i I don't want to i can't really mention any of them for fear of spoilers yeah uh, for people who haven't played them but um it's it's a technical marvel as well, considering the size of the, the team that's made it. It's got some problems. By the end of the game, I wanted to murder Roach, Geralt's horse. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most annoying video game mounts I've ever come across. Yeah, I've still I've still not managed to figure out the art of I know you can actually you can fight enemies on the horse, but yeah. I just can't do it. No, no, I didn't bother with that at all because Roach just annoyed me too much. Um and you but you kind of have to use him to, to get around um quite a lot because the map is gigantic and there's more than one as well. Like you you start off in quite a small area and then you get out into one giant area and then there's another one as well. There's a, a whole series of massive islands so you kind of need the horse to get around but oh my god he's annoying but apart from that i haven't really got any faults of the game at all it's it's an almost perfect open world rpg and without saying anything 
uh, without getting into any details about the story because I, I finished the main story uh, and got an ending that I was very pleased with. It's a very, very emotional story. Like I, I found myself getting a little bit tearful towards the end of the game. Definitely recommend it. Which version are you playing, incidentally, um, out of interest? I'm playing the PS4 version. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm playing the PC version and yeah. like my kind of initial one of my initial gripes with that was the kind of the way not so much the control scheme but just the way that Geralt handled when you like, yes. kind of moved about the world and they actually patched it and introduced mm. an alternative uh, control system that you could enable where he um he responds much more quickly to like if you if you try and turn him right you you're not having to wait for him to actually turn it's a kind of more of an instantaneous switch in a different direction and I find that yeah. that's a lot more playable yeah he and the original control method he carried momentum way too much so you'd you'd let go of the left stick and it would take a second or two for him to stop because he was carrying so much momentum for some reason which Mm. was odd because he's supposed to be very nimble and very light on his feet um but yeah that's something that cd project red have gotten right is that aside from the 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 chunk of free dlc they gave uh they've been patching that game furiously since it came out uh, addressing almost every single little problem that the community have had with the game they fixed it yeah, that, no, I I completely agree with that. They're like they're one of the few developers that I think I would buy whatever they put out on principle, whether or not I was actually interested in it, because the mm. kind of just the way that they have actually like serviced the community, and also I'm you know, but one of the one of the the big things, one one of the kind of significant aspects of the first Witcher game, or or possibly the second, I forget which, um, was that they partnered with uh, GOG, Good Old Games, yeah. which is a kind of DRM free service, and they you know they they've done all this kind of stuff. Like if you already own the first two Witcher games, you get a discount on the third one, and so on. They're just they seem to be really good to their kind of you know long term fans. Hmm. Michael, did you get the thank you note in the PC version? Because there is actually a thank you note in the PS4 version for yeah. Oh. Witcher. Yeah, from the developers. If if I did, I haven't noticed it. Where is it? <laughs> it's quite a nice little note. It's basically just saying that um, everything that you want is already here, you know, that, and we're not going to rip you off and um, put loads of extra stuff online or anything like that. It's... Have you got it, Mark, on yours? Yeah. It's like I mean, little, it's like yeah. they did the same sort of thing. There wasn't a note in it, but um, they don't have just like a standard version which is just a disc in a, in a box. They did the same with The Witcher 2 in that it comes uh, with like a map of the world and like this, The, the Witcher 3 also comes with, with this note from the developers saying thank you for buying their game um, and like a booklet, a separate booklet that explains the history of The Witcher for people who haven't played the first and second one. Um, they just kind of keep, they just throw goodies at you. Whereas yeah, like other developers yeah. would, well, not maybe it's not developers, but other publishers would, would charge for that sort of thing. Like yeah. all the, the, all 15, was it 15 or 16, I think, um, pieces of free DLC. Yeah, yeah. Every single one of those, another, you could see another publisher charging. Yeah, we like could name a few names. pounds for each one. Yeah, we could name <laughs> Destiny for a start, couldn't we, Mark? <laughs> yes, yes, we could. Yeah, twenty quid for some new dance oh, moves and stuff. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> I am. Um, I got the the. I uh, bought the download version, which is probably why I don't have the notes. So uh, I'm right. kind of salivating at the thought of all you know all these maps and booklets and stuff, which I've denied myself. Yeah, it's very nice. I mean, like um, The Witcher 2 did as well. It came with um, a a booklet that explained all of the quests that would happen through the game. So at any point, if you got so stuck, you'd got like this miniature strategy guide, like kind of like a really stripped down version of an official guide you'd buy for a game, just included in the box. Which I oh, thought that's was brilliant. a nice little touch. Yeah, 
Yeah, they're they're definitely a standout publisher, and they've they've won themselves a, a lot of um, uh, good. Well, they're in very good standing in the gaming community at the moment. Is it six six million seals? Yeah. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, no, yeah. I was just going to say, although I've not, um, I've not played the game, and I think just the thought of putting 25 hours into something and that only be scratching the surface probably rules this one out for <laughs> some yeah. time for me. But um, I, I was just going to say, not only have I kind of been aware that a lot of people have this made a big splash earlier in the year, um, I think like lots of people talking about it on social media, but I get the impression the lasting... Um, positive word of mouth and just good um, reputation among the gaming community I think a lot of people are going to end up putting this on their sort of game of the year list aren't they yeah and the- because you know obviously like the continued service like you're saying the fact that they, you know the aftercare package almost of buying the game it seems to be uh, you know it's worth so much because it's such a rarity uh, in gaming sometimes yeah, yeah and it's it's done them uh, it's done them a huge favors going forward as well because they they've announced there's two pieces of DLC coming out and they said that the two pieces together will be equivalent to the entirety of The Witcher 2. So it's going to be a two sizable oh. pieces of DLC. And they're charging 20 quid for the season pass for the two the, 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 uh, the two pieces. And everybody I know who's got the game has said, yes, I'll be buying the season pass. I already have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I can remember, uh, I think, I, again, I'm, I'm a bit hazy as to whether it was when The Witcher 1 came out or The Witcher 2, but they were basically talking about the whole issue of kind of piracy and what a hot potato that is. Ooh. And their, I mean, their attitude to, to the whole thing was basically people will find a way to pirate our game anyway, so there's no point in investing a huge amount of effort into trying to stop that. What we, what they should be doing and what they have been doing is making the buying a copy of it as, um, as attractive a proposition as possible. And they've, yeah. they've certainly managed to pull that off. It's a bit like the Blu-ray boutique labels, isn't it? Yeah. It's a similar kind of thing where you've got a whole package that is actually worth owning rather than, you know, just downloading it. Yeah, and I think it is that thing that there are certain companies or labels, whether it be in terms of the different medium of, uh, if we're talking films rather than Mm. games, but in both, like, uh, mediums of entertainment, you just get certain sources of work where you have, like, a sense of loyalty to, I guess, and you don't begrudge paying the money and you see it as an investment like I think um, I don't really have as much of a history with them but I know Michael you're a big fan of, of the work that Blizzard put yeah. out aren't you so like that's another company that who you would be uh, you by and large you, you would almost be buying anything that they put out to a degree yeah right? I think that they have managed to shoot themselves in the foot in a lot of respects with some of their recent decisions uh, whether that's the whole kind of online only fiasco with Diablo 3 whereby you know 10 million people tried to log in at once on launch night and to play a single player game essentially and brought and basically could not connect and play the game that they'd actually paid for so I think they've kind of almost done a sort of inverse CD project red in some respects <laughs> they have addressed almost all yeah, of it yeah. there was the problems with that and the the uh, real money auction house and things like that that they've now completely gone and today Diablo 3 is uh, it, it's a brilliant package and they keep releasing new content yeah, for it yeah well. have you been playing the have you been playing season 4 I haven't. No, I had to uninstall it from a PS4 for space, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I've heard that they just overhauled huge aspects of the game and added new content, and they're not charging for it at all. So, 
you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no it's, it's interesting because, well, I mean, I own a PS3, but I, I never use it for games. I play all my games almost exclusively on the PC. Yeah. But my understanding is that the kind of the console versions of Diablo 3 are, well, in, in some respects are in a better place than the PC version because they have provided the ability to play, you know, single player without tethering you to the internet. Whereas the PC version, it's still a case of even if all you want to do is play by yourself, you still have to connect to their service and you're kind uh, of okay. at the whims of that. I mean, they have like a, a weekly kind of maintenance period. So basically, mm. um, the way time zones work, if you want to play Diablo 3 on a Wednesday morning, tough. Uh, I didn't realize it was still uh, always online on PC. Right, so yeah. It's uh, a shame. Yeah, no, the, the console one's good. And I, I didn't, I, I, did, I hadn't realized that there was... Um, such a single player aspect to Diablo 3 that's another game that I've kind of just looked at and thought oh that was an online uh, multiplayer like co-op as oh you know this was designed from the ground up for multiplayer and there certainly are um, advantages to playing with other people and it's kind of geared towards making matchmaking very straightforward but at its heart I think it is a single player game and you know I have had the experience of playing through from level one through to the end with other people and it's actually quite frustrating because if you want to actually kind of soak up the lore of the world or watch the the cutscenes and things like that but you've got other people that are skipping through them it makes playing with other people kind of quite frustrating oh, I might have to give that a second look I mean I, it was not only that kind of a online aspect um, just because I, I, I wasn't sure whether I'd be able to like commit to you know the people that you're playing with to finish the game uh, like to meet up regularly online to play but also I just assumed it was one that you'd have to play on PC because like it just wouldn't work on console so it's interesting to hear that no actually the console one's perfectly fine and you know in its own as its own strengths yeah, it's, I mean, it's very much designed with the kind of ethos of you can pick it up very quickly and jump in and play for 10 minutes if that's all you've got time for and then and then leave. It's um, it's not a case of, you know, you have to play with the same group of people to get through from beginning to oh, end. okay. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, no. the, the one downside, I think, is that the console and the PC versions are so different that you can't play with someone who's on the other. No, which is a bit of a shame because other games have managed to get cross-play between uh, PS4 and PC, but they haven't done it with Diablo for some reason. I understand that it's down to the control scheme because on the console oh, okay. version you can dodge, you're controlling the character directly, whereas in the PC version you're using the mouse and you're clicking to go to different yeah. locations. So I think they had to kind of overhaul the whole flow of the game to facilitate that. Yeah. I mean, when they brought out the Reaper of Souls Ultimate Edition for the console, they introduced a character that feels very much like it was designed to be played with a controller in the, uh, is it the Crusader? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that's interesting. I, I don't get that feel of it from the PC version, but that possibly suggests that they've done a lot to the control scheme for that character. Yeah, that one definitely feels the best to play on a controller. Uh, some of the other ones, like uh, the wizard, can be quite difficult to use on, with a with a controller. Yeah, I can imagine. What about the monk? Because that one was kind of marketed as being very heavily inspired by beat 'em up games. I don't have a monk character yet, unfortunately. That's uh, that's next on my list. That's really what I've been playing over the last few days, basically because. I've been really busy of late and I've had various things on the go. And the nice thing about that game is, like, as I said, you can pick it up and play it for 10 minutes and then you can join various games with, kind of, like, it kind of sort of matches you up with anonymously with random people. You can jump into a game, complete a few objectives, jump out, and then come back. Uh, with a fresh group of people at another time so that all saves does it on your like your i guess is it like you're leveling up are you it's, and that all just yeah. saves onto your character yeah it's yeah. kind of a it's a slightly it's a slightly odd style of game because the world itself is um 
is not persistent. When you log out, it resets. It's like the level design, the level layouts are randomly generated. So you're getting a new world each time you come in. I understand. Yeah. So it's not about progressing through like a linear story. I get what you mean. Yeah. Well, you, you, you do. I mean, you, you do. There's like, there's adventure mode, which has a kind of story that you, you can play from beginning to end. And then basically once you've done that, they give you various other objectives that like you can do like, you, like bounties where you return to places you've already completed with, yeah. um, with like specific goals, like kill 50 of this type of creature or, or kill this boss and then there are other things like rifts where it's basically a kind of almost like an endless dungeon where you can keep going through it to you know, get to the boss at the end and collect all the loot as i say maybe i've um, been too quick to kind of rule that out as being out of my wheelhouse so to speak because of the time investment because i kind of like the idea you can dip in and out and you can still like level your yeah. character up like over a period over a longer period of sort of short gaming sessions that's good Okay, Kevin, have you got uh, anything you want to share with us that you've been playing? For the last, I would say, a couple of weeks, I've been playing uh, Lego Batman 3. Started off playing it on the Vita and really enjoyed it. And I thought, no, I'm going to take a real punt on this one now and uh, go it for the PS4. Thinking they'd be able to cross over, you know, I thought the save would be still on the PS4. No, it's a completely different game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and. Um, this is where I often wonder which version to get because I've seen like actually quite a few are on sale and I've played quite a few of the Lego games across different systems like uh, like Nintendo consoles as well as like Sony but and on the handhelds yeah. as well. But so the, the, your you've played both versions then of Lego Batman Three and and they are different games then. So one of them effectively. Like it's been designed for the handhelds yes. and one of them's been designed yeah. for the console. Right, I understand. Yeah, they feel like yeah. they're oceans apartly. The handheld version is it feels like it's basically a power cut down you know obviously the, the reasons there straight away you know you just have another power for it but there's some really neat little bits on the ps vita that obviously don't cross over to the ps4 um, when you want to change your character you can just tap the screen which i didn't realize until my daughter started touch, tapping the screen <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the ps4 version uh, there's so much more content on it when I started to uh, really dive into it I thought look I might as well bite the bullet and get the full all singing all dancing version looked on the PlayStation Network and it won their sale you know it'll keep me busy until Lego Dimensions comes out at the end of this month yeah no there's uh, all all the Lego ones even the ones all the way back to the first one is on uh, Lego Batman games were on sale and I think you're right there's Mm. a few um Harry Potter's, which I haven't played and don't intend to, because <laughs> of the <that> franchise <laughs> association. But um, yeah, no, it's they, they are great fun, and I, I should really get um, back into them. I think Lego Batman Two was the last one I completed on PS3, and I, I did enjoy it. But I think, as I said previously, that was already for me getting to the point where the world was too big, like the hub itself was too big and I was just spending so much time driving to the different markers to, to then start the next kind of story mission I'd, I almost would have rather it be separated where I could just go from level one to whatever like just by a menu click and then if I want to do like free play or something in an open world um, but I've mm. got Lego Lord of the Rings here for PS3 which um, I've, I've started uh-huh. so I will go back to that that is one I've still got on my hit list I've not even got that yet so uh, that's definite um, I started playing Lego the Hobbit and I've only seen the first two films I've not even seen the third yet <laughs> and <laughs> I got about a, a good way through the film and the, uh, through the game sorry and then realised hang on a second there's going to be spoilers in this I better stop and play a different game <laughs> so 
<laughs> Went back to Batman. <laughs> so I've been trying a, a couple of different things, but um, I managed to actually finish a game in addition to Gunslinger, which is obviously what we discussed. So I just did Entwined, which was free, I think, on PS Plus. God, I don't know now. It's got to be probably a couple of months ago. But um, I, I, the reason why I tried that is because with um, Peter, Andy and Mark, we were talking about brothers, you know, like the dual stick control scheme of the characters. And um, this game was kind of like sold off a, a similar kind of technique that you've got. I believe it's because it's been a little bit of a while, my, my mind is already forgetting, but I think it's ultimately like a, um, a bird and a fish and you control the ones on the left-hand side of the screen, ones on the right, and you, you use the two dual sticks on the Vita to control it. Obviously, you can do the same on the PS3. And ultimately, you're, you're having to kind of move them both simultaneously through these like pulsating shapes. Um, so the way that the aesthetic of the game works, you feel like you're moving at great speed into the into like the screen. To begin with, you think, God, it's really, really difficult and kind of unforgiving, but it's actually got a really well-judged sort of learning curve. I think there's only about... 10 or so kind of like levels and it is ultimately just almost like a racer if you imagine you're on a track but you're moving the characters from the top to the bottom of the screen and you've got you know for some reason it might be that let's say there's like a triangular shape in the top left hand side of the corner but there's like a pulsating square in the bottom right you've got to make sure you've got the bird and the fish in in the right spot to go through it and then as you get more successful you kind of like charge a meter up and then they merge into the, like this sort of magnificent soaring dragon at the end of the level and you get to do some like fun little writing in the sky so it's not a, it's not a particularly long game but it did have like a quite a distinct if um I don't want to say basic because that's doing it a disservice, but it's like it's obviously got a very kind of like clean, stylized look to it, and it is. I want to say it's like one of these sort of small indie games, but I think it is done by Pixel Opus, is it? And I think aren't they? I think they're within Sony, aren't they? I think they're one of like they're possibly like an in-house publisher of theirs. I don't know because I mean I think this was built on the Unity engine, and I was surprised it didn't hadn't come onto the new 3DS because I know that that can run that game engine as well but i think this is something that's like exclusive to sony has anyone else seen it or played this i'm, I'm pretty sure this is a uh, a sony exclusive thing because this was the game that they announced and launched on the same day at e3 last year uh it was they they announced yes, that that's right 2014 said, yeah, yeah yeah and it said yeah. like you know it's available to download tonight um i played a little bit of it i've only played the first uh, three or four levels but um it's it's a nice little game. It's it's interesting. It's it's it reminds me a little bit of uh, another uh, PS Plus game um, recently called Race the Sun. Yeah, I've got that one. I haven't tried that yet, but I've got that on the Vita to try. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're both kind of similar games, although Race the Sun is just just, just controlling one little craft uh, rather than uh, the two characters in Entwined. Yeah, it's visually stunning without being you know overly technical. It's not a graphical wonder, but it, the art style is very nice, and it, it's a good challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of them games that I think um, I was looking always because sometimes I'm getting very late from work and the family's all in, already gone to bed, and sometimes I, you know, if I can stay awake and keep my eyes open, I might watch a film. But other than that, it might be just having a little quick chunk of gaming, but something that's not too taxing. And I mm. must, but I did find that quite relaxing. I think with the, sound, is, the yeah. soundtrack yeah. and the, yeah. the kind of primary colours, so that 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 was great as well because it mm. fitted in. You know, a lot of things that we've talked about in the past, particularly us that are more lapsed in the sense that 
just finding the time to game, you know, is, is a challenge enough. So that that was a, you know, that was um, one that I could kind of play in little chunks. I mean, there is a, there's more to it. There's like I've only done the story mode. There is like a high score or kind of challenge mode. But the great thing about the PS Plus is that I've kind of got my fix out of the game, or I've got my enjoyment. I don't feel that I'm obliged to have to wring every ounce of kind of value out of it as if it was like a purchase so mm. I've kind of spent the time that I want to with it and you know now I'm ready to move on but I, I would certainly say to people that you know if they want something to play on their Vita um, and then you know to give it a go because it is quite a pleasant distraction Bizarre, I've actually tried it um, like you Mark, I've got so far into it I've got about the second or third level as well and for some bizarre reason I've put it down and never picked it back up again I do like the style of it and I do like the control system it took me a while to get adjust to it you know once I'd actually got myself sorted yeah I really enjoyed it and I, again I was doing it at sort of early hours of the morning after I'd finished work at DJing and it was the like you said it's a perfect way to come down <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, um, you feel like it's going to get, you know, you think, oh God, it's getting harder each level and there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. But yeah, I was surprised actually at how um, easy the progression is. Like, there are, I, I didn't feel that there were particular difficulty uh, jumps or spikes. So I think that, you know, once you get past probably that third or fourth level, I think you'll be, you know, you, it'll probably only take you like a couple of attempts to be able to do all mm. of them until the end. I'll have to pick that up again tonight. Okay, uh, Mark, did you have another one that you want to tell us about? Yeah, I've got a few more. The first one I guess I should talk about is uh, I played through most of uh, Batman Arkham Knight. I've, had, I've been lucky and had quite a lot of gaming time over the last month or so, so I've been able to sink quite a lot of time into these big, meaty single-player games. Yeah, Arkham Knight is, it's still, in my opinion, not as good as uh, Arkham Asylum, the first one. I thought the first one was very focused, very sort of Metroidvania influence sort of game, whereas like uh, Arkham City and Arkham Knight are... There's too much open world. It feels a little less focused in the original. But Arkham Knight is incredible. I can't say too much about the story because the spoilers that would kick off from quite soon into the game that I don't want to mention because the reveal is brilliant. If any of you've played it, then you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. I've I've played about 15 minutes of Arkham Knight. Um, <laughs> All right, no, no, yeah. you won't you won't have seen um, what I'm talking what what I'm uh, avoiding talking the, about. This this is the PC version again, and there's a bit <gasps> there's a bit of a story about that because uh, <laughs> yes. I I actually. Um, over the over the summer around about my birthday, I I upgraded my my graphics card. Well, actually, I bought uh, dual graphics cards primarily for for games like The Witcher Three, but they actually came with a, a free version of Arkham Knight. Mm. Um, so that was the first game I tried out on them, and the PC port is just so badly done that even on you know dual. Yeah. You know, reasonably good graphics cards the whole thing just slows to crawl i mean it looked absolutely gorgeous i kind of um i was kind of standing on the i know it's not the brooklyn bridge but it's it's kind of close to that and i was standing on top of that and just looking down at the kind of the rain swept city and just thinking this looks so amazing um i'd really like to play this when it's actually playable <laughs> i believe i believe there's a patch either in in the pipeline or recently released so I'm kind of looking forward to actually coming back to that and trying. Yeah, I, I saw someone. Um, I, I think it was um, uh, Justin from Last Save Loaded. He was playing it on. He was streaming it via Twitch, and it, it looked even even just watching it via Twitch, it looked uh, graphically really impressive. But it, and also um, seems to be taking more and more. Um, kind of influences from the Nolan films in the sense that from what I was watching him play yeah. in the vehicles and mm. some of the kind of cinematics and that it, it looks very filmic 
There are some very, very well done homages to particular Batman comics as well. Again, I can't mention any of them without revealing characters and things like that, but <laughs> there's a couple that are almost like taken scenes uh, straight out of the comic book and put it into the game in a way that's not like ripping it off. It's, it's a very, very well done homage to some of these. Yeah. It is one of the best looking games on PS4. I haven't seen the PC version. I imagine it looks even better on PC, but on PS4, it's uh, absolutely stunning. It does it does look glorious, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it plays well. And I know a lot of people have been complaining about oh. the Batmobile and the fact that the game forces you to use it quite a lot. But I never found it a problem at all. Um, it's enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, one weird thing is that the, the, con- the default control scheme for the Batmobile is awful. Yep. But there's an option in the in the menu to change it to another control screen that actually makes sense. But I don't know why that one's not on as default. <laughs> that's where I'm going to have to but, do then, yeah. because that's that's what's yeah. actually put me off. I'd got a fair chunk done. I'd, I'd say about an hour or so into mm. like gameplay. I'd got past you know where you open up the whole city and stuff. But the, there's just so much on this early stage of the game that needs the tumbler yeah. that it just drove me nuts because every time I was hitting accelerate it suddenly would turn into a tank and I'd be like what mm. the hell is going on now <laughs> yeah it's like uh, when you're driving around you pull the right trigger to accelerate yeah. and you pull the left trigger to well you pull break. the left trigger thinking it's going to be brake but it transforms yeah. <laughs> you into the tank but exactly. you can change it so that that's brake and you just press R1 I think to, to, like, to switch between the tank and the car and that just makes you sense yeah, yeah, that is perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know why that's not on as default, but um, yeah, uh, the the titular character. I mean, I haven't finished it, so I don't know how it ends. But like the titular Arkham Knight as as the villain is kind of boring, and so is Scarecrow as well. He's not been in it much, but you hear his voice over recordings and over the PA system in the city, and that neither of them I, I don't really get what their motives are at, at the moment. I've still got a good chunk to go. But it's all the other characters in the game that are filling it out. Again, I can't say anything (laughs) for spoilers, but (laughs) yeah, very, very good. Very good game. Another one that I've sort of been playing, or I should say kind of experimenting with really, is that I've had a bit of time to, because I picked up the Wii U, I think, back at Easter. So I've uh, finally managed to have some more time exploring the capabilities of the the gamepad. Um, And that's kind of, again, just been like a revelation to me in the sense that virtually, well, a a largeable chunk of the games are fully playable, like on the gamepad. And um, the way that... Where I'm currently living is set up. I'm actually able to play things like Mario Kart 8, uh, 3D World, and even a recent purchase, Pikmin 3, just purely on the gamepad, like whilst in bed and things like that. It's just incredible that has been for me because <laughs> it's allowed for, you know, so much more. Um, you know, like when the living room space is taken up with other things, being able to do a bit of gaming up like then, it's, it's been a, a lifesaver. And I've just been really impressed. I mean, it's almost like the perfect handhold. I mean, I've got the Vita and the new 3DS, but, you know, playing Mario Kart 8 on that gamepad is just incredible. I mean, you still... Um, 
beautiful to look at although it isn't of course you know the full resolution um but yeah i I think i was under the impression that with certain games it only was used for certain gameplay i mean it does accompany the the large screen of course you know like that's what what it's kind of like primary purpose is but the off-screen play is just so so rewarding like in in lots of respects so i've just been you know going through the uh the grand prix in mario kart 8 and you know getting like the three stars or whatever and that's that's great to pick up because like it's only four races now i think i think in the old days it used to be five races for a grand prix but i think it's only four per course um this time around and there's like lots of content so yeah that's been brilliant to dive in and out of and um, the pikmin 3 one that has just risen in my uh, affection so quickly. That was like a Nintendo franchise I'd so long overlooked. And Kevin, when we were talking oh, oh, oh. Like about strategy games, you know, it didn't come to mind because it's yeah. something I've not had exposure to. But I was kicking myself to not at least name check it. So, yeah, having now picked up the third one, the Wii U version, it is just a, the tonic I needed. It's so. It, it, some people can argue and split heads about whether it is a true real time strategy game. But for me, it's ticking all the right boxes. And the, the added benefit is it's set in, you know, this like wondrous. Um, similar to planet to earth but is populated with all these fantastical creatures and you know different little pikmin and you know my son just loves it you know it's just like a dreamscape for him he he, he he actually can play it on the gamepad i was amazed like how he could pick it up with the stylus you know everyone i'm hearing people say no you should use the you know the the wii remote and the the nunchuck and then you use the gamepad as the as the map and that that does work brilliantly i mean that's an incredible um uh, really effective way of controlling a real-time strategy game but you know just as i say it's so accessible and they've really done well i think with the different control options at your disposal that it kind of suits a lots of different play styles and yeah he's able to kind of like navigate you know move around you're basically got three little captains that you land on this planet with and you get separated from them and you have to kind of like traverse different terrain to find them and then you encounter the different color pikmin that have got like different traits so for example the red ones are really good fighters the yellow ones can jump higher than others and you kind of in the end you're what you're doing is like multitasking you're you, you need to always collect um fruit which is so tantalizingly captured on screen it's like these giant juicy apples and you know wonderful grapes and they carry them back like ants to your spaceship and they get turned into like your food and if you kill an enemy its soul kind of leaves the screen but they take the carcass back and it turns into more Pikmin. So, yeah, no, it's just wonderful. It's just fantastic. I, I, I did, has anyone had, have you had any exposure to this at all? Anyone? I have. Um, bizarrely, that's what's really annoying me as well. The fact that we didn't talk about it in the strategy thing. I'd forgotten completely <laughs> about this because it's so long since I played them. Ah, oh, cheers, Lee. Um, I, I did the first two on the GameCube, and that they were just the the killer app, if you like. And yeah. it's good that we have actually, you know, Nintendo have pulled it up and used it again on the Wii U because it sounds like it's going to be such a brilliant iteration you know the fact that you got a second screen um it's yeah that that is so good that is so good for like finding uh, you know navigating the map and um, almost like you can send because you're going to control three people you can send one there to do this one there to do that but you you, it's all there in your lap so to speak (laughs) to be able to find out where everyone is and obviously the, the more kind of um tricky i guess the missions become later on the more helpful that is i mean i think mm. the reason i think we i missed them so much is because i never owned a gamecube 
that's ah. like one of the that's one of the only Nintendo consoles that I just did not own because um, that was probably when I was playing games less I think mm. or I might have gravitated towards um, that might have been the same era as the Xbox um, so yeah no going to Pikmin 3 is like my first Pikmin game it's just uh, delivered on all fronts I mean I haven't completed it th- yet it's the, the great thing about it is um, I get the impression that there's obviously a, li- a finite number of missions or kind of secrets to discover on each uh, kind of world area but it's um done by a procession of days so like if you wanted to rush through it you could probably do the mission if you're a very skilled player within like 20 days whereas for me and my son we're literally just like spending the they say it's like a 20 minute chunk per day like it's you get like um you're allowed to stay on the planet's surface until the sun kind of goes yep. down so let's say that's a 20 minute space of game time we are literally just exploring like the very first world <laughs> to every finite detail and then we're moving on to the next and you know there's boss fights yeah it's, it's, it's such a um perfect example again of the way nintendo can make games that feel very um accessible and kind of like leisurely you can you can progress through them at your own pace but there isn't enough depth there and ingenuity for you to feel that you're you're accomplishing something the better you get at playing the game yeah very much so so yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm waxing lyrical about a game that I think it came out in 2013, but uh, I mean, it's in the running for, to be my game of the year anyway. Um, yeah, but I'm waxing lyrical about a series that started in what 2001. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I'll have to pick up because I know that they did. Um, I can't remember what the kind of label, the, the prefix they kind of gave the games, but they they reboxed them, re-released them for the Wii, didn't they? Yes. So um, I will put, I will get them, I think, because obviously the Wii U is backwards compatible. Yeah, they're worth yeah. picking up, definitely. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air. And as I say, I'm sure I'll talk about it more because um, this is a game I do intend to play through to the end. Well, speaking about Wii's and Wii U's, um, I finally decided to pick up a Wii the other week. Uh, bought a really nice, cheap one just as a second, well, third, fourth console. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that uh, me and my daughter could play along and the game I've got to go with it is Peppa Pig the video <laughs> game <laughs> which is the most extraordinarily surreal experience I've ever seen in gaming <laughs> I don't know whether to tear my hair out or just cry in a corner <laughs> I don't know what is going on <laughs> so uh, I bet she's happy in the sense of what so she can actually control oh she's Peppa loving it yeah she's loving it she's <laughs> She's running around with controller, and half the time the pointer's not even pointing at the screen, but she's enjoying it. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> what is going on? I'm <laughs> just looking at chickens on the screen and eggs, and I'm thinking, I have no idea what the what what the plot is, whether there's any sort of aim in this game or what. It just jumping in muddy puddles, surely. <laughs> Absolutely, that's it. <laughs> it's just muddy puddles. <laughs> it's a surreal experience, and one. I wouldn't recommend to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that ringing endorsement. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think I've got anything else to add in terms of gaming apart from, I mean, this doesn't even count, but since I installed Windows 10, I've been playing a lot of uh, Microsoft Sudoku, which is, (laughs) Sudoku is a game that I, you know, I never got into the paper version because I just took one look at it and thought, you know, that's, that's way too much for my brain, but just the the act of being able to like try different like try like use the mouse to put different numbers in and try them it's kind of 
opened up a whole new world of sort of puzzle solving for me and I've suddenly realized that you know it's nothing actually nothing like as complicated as it looks and it's it's been quite an interesting way of filling 15 minutes when I, you know when I, when I when my brain's too frazzled to concentrate on anything else <laughs> so it's a good way of brain training then yeah I guess so I mean I kid myself on that I'm doing something that's good for me but I'm not I'm not actually convinced that that's <laughs> I've that's always really found good. that too often <laughs> I think um, someone said that I should try the the picture one that's like a Sudoku merge with a picture one like on um yeah yes yeah. i think uh-huh. it is is it pit cross that's the that's the franchise have you heard of these games pit cross uh i haven't i mean the um the the windows version has like a number version and the picture version i actually prefer the number version because um like some of the pictures are just too similar so it's it's actually it actually it's actually requires more kind of brain activity to to double check that you haven't um, already yeah, used that yeah. particular number in that particular block that God, pr- yeah. particular picture in that particular block Okay, Mark, do you want to bring us up to speed then on the other games that you've managed to play? Yeah, so uh, the last two games I've been playing, one of them I haven't played a huge amount of, and that is, um, well, the the two games are quite similar in a way. The first one is uh, Volume, the new game by Mike Bithell, the creator of Thomas Was Alone. And it's like a Metal Gear Solid 1 VR mission style series of stealth levels. Each of them is quite short. The power times, the maximum I've seen is about two and a half minutes, the time that you should be completing these levels in. I don't, I haven't played enough to really get into the story, so I don't fully understand what's going on. But you play a guy called Rob Loxley uh, on a sort of Robin Hood themed storyline where you, you stealth your way through these levels and steal information and then move on to the next level being guided through by this AI voiced by, is it Danny Wallace? The one who, who narrated Thomas Was Alone? Yeah, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, Cause, yeah. Cause I, I know the game you mean now, actually. This has been quite hotly anticipated, hasn't it, by fans yeah. of that original game? Yeah, it's like, I mean, I can't really speak on the story because I haven't played enough yet, but it's got a very, um, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 1 VR missions with like with a style and music that reminds me of Deus Ex Human Revolution. Oh, okay. And it, it's a brilliant little stealth game, basically. It's like, it's there's been no combat as far as I've gotten. It's all about using sound, hence the name volume. Mainly sound, but a few other little tools to distract the guards, to be able to sneak past, steal what you need to steal, and get to the exit of the level. And it's a perfect sort of game for a lapsed gamer, because it's one that you can just pick up and just play one level if you want. You can just boot up. It boots up quite quickly, jump in, do a level or two, and that's five minutes. And this is across, is it PS4 and Vita? I don't know. I think it might only be PS4, as far as I'm aware. Right. It's coming yeah. to PC yeah. as well, I'm pretty sure. I think when they announced it... Yeah, because Thomas was alone, ended up going to everything, didn't it, that game? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that when they announced it, it was just like console exclusive on PS4. I'm almost certain it'll be on PC as well. It would be a perfect fit for the Vita, but I don't know whether they'd ever port it to that. I hope they do. It has been listed as coming over to Vita, yes. It has. Okay, good. I'll probably hold out for that. But so far, I'm really enjoying that. But on the subject of stealth, the the last game I've been playing that I've been sinking my teeth into over the last uh, week or so is Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. Wow, you, oh, you, I'm very impressed because like there's some really big <laughs> kind of epic yeah. titles that you've been playing. <laughs> I've only managed to finish one of them. I mean, I imagine the I imagine the opening cutscene is Two pretty, days. pretty sizable. Isn't no, it, th- this Gear? is one <laughs> of the things. This is this is one of the biggest changes <clears throat> that I've noticed in the Phantom Pain, and it, you kind of got a hint of it if you played through Ground Zero. The intro sequence was quite restrained in terms of length. In terms of spectacle, no, it's familiar Kojima fare. Like, it's absolutely bonkers, the opening sequence of, of The Phantom Pain. 
but it only lasted for about an hour and none of it was really cutscenes. There's a, there's a couple of cutscenes, but most of it is you're playing through a level whilst everything's kicking off. And then from that point on, there hasn't been a lot of cutscenes really. Snake doesn't say a lot. Yeah, I don't know whether it's because Kiefer Sutherland is just a very expensive voice actor, but it kind of fits into the idea that if you've played through Ground Zeroes, you know at the end something quite massive happens, and that combined with what happens at the beginning of The Phantom Pain. Snake's kind of a broken man, basically. His name in the game is, is like, you know, every, every snake gets a code name is uh, Punished Snake uh, in this version. And so he's not very chatty, which is unusual given how much dialogue uh, Snake's had in previous games. A lot of the the story isn't told through cutscenes, it's told through these tapes, these cassette tapes that you get, briefing tapes, that you can um, listen to whilst you're on the chopper awaiting to go into a mission, or you can listen to it during a mission if you want. So it gives you the choice of soaking in the storyline at any point that you want, rather than forcing you to watch a 90 minute long cutscene, like you did in Metal Gear 4. Gameplay-wise, it is exactly the same as it was in um, Ground Zeroes, but with um, a lot more tools and the the buddy system. Like you start off with a horse, and I, I don't want to say who the other buddies are for fear of spoilers. But um, you have like a tool to take into the field with you. Each one has different skills, and each one is very useful in its own uh, individual way. And it's just like a giant playground. Like, um, I haven't done that many story missions because it gives you these side ops, like side missions do, where you like sneak into a basin, capture a prisoner, or um, sneak in and assassinate the captain or something like that. Lots and lots of little short little stealth missions where it'll drop you in an area, you sneak into a base, do the, the objective and sneak out again. And that earns you loads of resources for your base building operation that you're doing when you're not in missions. So it's it doesn't play like any other Metal Gear game. Have, have, have any of you played Ground Zeroes? No, I mean, I think um, the last one that I would have spent any sort of time would, with would have been back on, like, is it was it was did it make its debut, like, on PS1? Yes, yeah. Like Metal Gear. Yeah, so that's probably it. So the one, when you were describing volume, that's that's more, that mm. harkens back more to, like, what my idea of, like, Metal Gear is. Like, isn't it like where it used to be, like, um, an isometric view? And you just have to walk around to evade the yeah. guards. That, yes, that's it the is. First yeah. Metal Gear, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I left off. Yeah, yeah, yeah with like vision cones and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the same actually. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Ground Zeroes downloaded because it it was free on PS Plus a few months ago, and mm-hmm. um, my partner she'll always want to dive into that. She likes the uh, Metal Gear series. Yeah, but I just can't do it. I like to run into a roomy shotgun blazing. <laughs> and I, I just. Can't, I, I can't creep around. <laughs> I can't even walk quiet. Yeah, life's too short. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's um, something that the Phantom Pain gives you um, the option to do if you want. Like, it tries its hardest to make you play stealth, and which I'm, I'm quite happy with because I like playing it stealthily. But it also gives you loads of tools, and you can unlock different tools where you could just go storming in and just wipe everyone out in a base. You can unlock, like, a what he calls battle dress which is like armored suit for for snake to wear rocket launchers and shotguns and machine guns and you can call in a helicopter to give you air support at any point and you can call in bombardments and you can um use enemies mortar cannons against them and things like that so if you wanted to go in all guns blazing then you could totally do that that's the thing is that this is the most open metal gear game i've ever played because all of them um even metal gear 3 which was quite 
wide open in, in the areas that it gave you they've always funneled you down a corridor and there's always been an optimum way to do each particular level. Like you could watch like a step-by-step -step video and just follow that. But with uh, Grand Zeroes and the Phantom Pain, it's just like you have a starting point and you have an objective. It plays a lot more, almost like a Hitman level in a way, in that the, the way that you execute what you need to do um, is completely up to you. So you can go in guns blazing and take everyone out, or you can be really sneaky, go in, avoid the guards, um, tranquilize those that you need to or knock them out, take out their communications equipment, um, disable the generator so that they've got no power, so there's no lights. Any number of ways like that you want to, to um, attack a particular level. It just gives you so many tools. It's just like there's just it's like they built this engine the fox engine which is an incredible engine and plays brilliantly and just gave you a massive playground and said there you go just go and go and have fun that sounds more appealing than i thought it would be actually yeah it's it's a massive change and this has only recently come out isn't it because i've noticed a lot of people are talking about this game at the moment so is this just landed it this, was this month, due to come it? out last uh, yeah it came out last tuesday um i got my yeah. my uh, copy turned up a few days early so I've got a bit of a head start. I haven't been able to touch any of the multiplayer stuff yet because uh, the servers have been pretty shaky since it launched so I haven't been able to get into any of that yet. That seems to be a common complaint. <laughs> yeah, <seems> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it, 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 when you obviously uh, if you stick with some of these longer titles then and you do manage to finish them maybe you could kind of like give us like a summary on another another episode <laughs> see how yeah. you got. I'm intrigued to know how you do because you've got by my count, Witcher 3, uh, Arkham Knight, and Metal yeah. Gear, like three very substantial games. I'd be intrigued to know how they end up stacking up for you. Like, what ones did you let fall by the wayside? Or if you did manage to finish all three, what, what was your kind of preference, if you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a year's worth. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, that's probably a decade's worth. <laughs> Although, um, um, is there, did you have any more to add on that, Bob, before I finish up? On, um, I just want to say that it's it's uh, just an incredibly polished game. Um, it's one of the 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 way. See, I can't really say without finishing it, but mm. so far, it's definitely one of the best Metal Gear games I've ever played, and that's like a high bar. Uh, and it's just like a fitting send off for Hideo Kojima. Konami said they're going to make more Metal Gear games, but in my opinion, this is the last Metal Gear game because if Kojima's not there, then it's not going to be Metal Gear. Yeah, brilliant so far. And just one final thing before we, we wrap this section up for today, I just wanted to thank the guys at the Game of Dad, the Magic Hour Show podcast. I believe it's Eugene Ho, and I've got uh, another gentleman's Twitter handle. It's at Zoso1701. They were interviewing the, the guys that made the game, the developers, and uh, they part for, uh, as a prize, a Steam code for Citizens of Earth, and I managed to win that, so I, I was rather pleased with that. I haven't got very far. I have installed it and given it a little try because it, it was a game that I was aware of that I wanted to play because I love things like Costume Quest where it's like RPG light and you get like a little gang of people together and you sort of do little missions or they're quests of course but they're, they're, they make sense in like the world the comical world of the story it's set in this was kind of comparable I think another sort of the most obvious point of comparison would be um, games that were on the old sort of 16-bit Nintendo consoles. Is it Earthbound? Has anyone heard of nope, this? Nope. <laughs> okay, well, I, th that was like a game that was very big uh, in Japan and it has since made its way over to the West or certain 
version to have onto the virtual console but this game uh, citizens of earth it's like a, a, a comedy it's got like a really really hyper stylized art style it's very kind of like americanized you're this really sort of arrogant president who's just been elected or vice president and you wake up in your bed your mother wakes you up for laying in and then your brother comes and kind of congratulates you and gives you a present and they end up kind of like joining your party and then there's like you go out of the house and there's loads of like protesters there and one of your first missions is to track down who organized this protest outside your house and it ends up transpiring that it is the uh, like the leader of the opposition and there's like just funny dialogue you know all the characters are voice acted it's really like OTT it's quite appealing from what I've played so far I mean I think this is like a 60 hour plus game which is just incredible considering it's like just been released as like a small indie I think the guys it was only two of them that had to do a lot of it and I think they are aware that the game hasn't been necessarily very well received on the consoles or the handhelds because they basically did the PC version and then they had like a really short turnaround of time to get the release out by when Atlas needed it to be done and uh, I think people have just reported that it's a bit buggy on the other systems but I'm hoping that will get patched or rectified because I think this is the sort of game that I would actually probably prefer to play on a handheld although you know the Steam version is is, I got it free and it is the best (laughs) if it's going to be that kind of length of game it's far more likely that I'll be able to get chunks of time on a handheld rather than sat in front of the PC but you know regardless of what format you you, you kind of choose to play on I would say it's probably worth just to have a little look because it it is you know it's very kind of like easy to pick up and play and and, uh, I, I kind of quite like the out there art style when it's very humorous I get the impression that although at the moment I'm kind of bickering with the locals and trying to kind of like win their favor like you have to like find some donuts for someone and you have to kind of like pick up the rubbish and you know it's like lots of sort of silly little American suburbia type missions but then on the horizon I think there's like going to be alien invaders so there'll probably be monsters and there is like a combat system but it's kind of like very basic where you know your sprites are on the screen and so is the enemy character and there's no actual physical engagement it's more just like numbers like you choose like from a drop down menu of what kind of move you want to use like the healing power or you know an aggressive power and it just kind of like knocks their health bar down so it's like a turn based battle system obviously very pleased to get that off uh, the magic hour show guys and uh, I'm certainly being able to now obviously play it by having the game for free it's certainly whet my appetite to pick it up but I probably will wait until it kind of like goes to PS Plus because this came out I think this came out in January of this year so it wouldn't surprise me if this ends up being on PS Plus like next year so you know keep an eye out for that and uh, I'm sure even if it is a little bit buggy if you get it for free I mean who's going to complain (laughs) (laughs) well if it goes on PS Plus um, there's the second way of looking at it as well now is the fact that will it actually get voted as that month's game because the the, yeah of course yes (laughs) yeah yeah because um but they still give you don't they they? because it's already come out it's already come out it's already on vita sorry i should say it's already on 3ds i mean i think that's where i was hearing some complaints that the wii u version compared to the 3ds version there was you know people were saying that they've kind of like just compressed it they've not really (laughs) sort of taken the care to make it um 
unique to that system they've just like ported it by squashing it down whereas on steam obviously on a high-end pc it's not a hard game to run and, it, and it's got obviously got the shaders and the graphical settings up to its highest so it, it actually looks really appealing and it plays incredibly smoothly and the load screens are very minimal whereas i'm assuming then on maybe some of these other ports it, it maybe like takes mm. ages to load or something like that i don't know because i've not tried it but all i know is i know it's a title that the developers themselves were very candid about acknowledging that there's been some flack for that and they were just trying to explain from their point of view that how tiny an operation it was and the fact that they had such a kind of like horrendous deadline because when you work with publishers you've got to meet a deadline you know very much like filmmakers isn't it you hear that you know they get a ridiculous amount of time to to get everything in and it doesn't matter if it's the, almost like the product's not ready if the date's given to market that it's going to be released then that's that's what's got to happen so from what i played though it was as i say it was perfectly smooth on steam and uh, you know it's it, even though like we've talked earlier a lot of games put me off because <laughs> of the length i think that this one's got like a little charm to it and the fact that you can kind of do it in bite-sized chunks i can see myself investing some time if i can get it on a, a portable device so you know the, i was very pleased to win that prize so thanks again okay well thank you to mark kevin and michael for joining me today on the tuned in section and of course we hope michael will join us again on future episodes yeah i'd be happy to wonderful and uh, make sure everyone keeps playing and look forward to you know hearing of your exploits in the months to come goodbye Hello, this is Ryan Heyman for Lapsed Gamer Radio. The last couple weeks have been a very exciting time for me because I happen to live in Seattle, and Seattle houses one of the biggest game shows in the world, PAX Prime. I was lucky enough to attend, and I thought I'd just give some brief thoughts on uh, some of the more interesting games that I saw. As is typically the case with PAX, I spent most of my time exploring kind of the, uh, the more innovative indie stuff rather than the big, uninteresting, same-every-year-triple-A releases. So this is not a comprehensive list of everything, but here's a few highlights that really stood out to me while I was exploring the show floor. Probably my favorite game that I saw on the show floor was Shoot Shoot Mega Pack. It is an asteroids-like shooter. You play these little uh, little triangular ships all maneuvering around this, uh, this course, shooting at each other. It's a four-player competitive top-down shooter, uh, except the rules are changing in every match, and so there's there's all sorts of innovative rule sets, like you are uh, tethered together so that when one of you boosts, you all boost, when one of you fires, you all fire. The course will constantly shrink, your bullets will not destroy your enemies, but instead open up holes underneath them that you have to push them through, and just all sorts of really wacky things. It, it keeps you on your toes the entire time, which I really love, and then there's a mode that you can uh, you can try out that will basically randomize the rule set, and so you just have to be really observant, think on your feet, know all the different rule sets, and you know, this, this type of thing is really interesting to me because it adds that kind of like a random party element that you get in uh, in crazier Smash Bros matches. It has a very appealing presentation, and the, the spokesperson for it was full of energy and just seemed like a really nice guy. Um, I, I went back a few times to uh, you know bring friends to try it out or just uh, refer people over. But yeah, shoot, shoot, mega pack definitely worth keeping your eye on. Similarly, just beats and shapes. Uh, sounds like sound shapes, doesn't it? Um, it's it's not though. It is a, a rhythmically based bullet hell dodge em up 
I would say. It's kind of like a, kind of like the bit trip games a little bit in that uh, you play these little shapes. Uh, another kind of four player, you could probably play it by yourself. You are basically dodging anything pink on screen and it gets quite uh, chaotic and hectic and you're always zipping around all over the place trying to find little pockets of safety. It's uh, quite enjoyable, especially for those who come from a kind of a bullet hell or a shoot 'em up background. There's there's no offensive moves in this one, but uh, you are just, just dodging and uh, trying to stay safe. And it has some lovely animations, especially on the um, the boss stage. That was very difficult, but uh, very exciting. It really drew a crowd. Captain Forever Remix. This is another interesting idea. It kind of reminded me of like Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts plus FTL, if that makes any sense. You play these uh, spaceships kind of drifting around space and you, uh, you can fire on other spaceships and then they break apart and you can take pieces from their spaceship and attach it onto yours and just create these big crazy looking spaceships that you know have thrusters everywhere and and cannons and lasers and just whatever you can find to attach to your ship it's it's kind of lego like in that way it seems interesting i I didn't get to play it but i I really liked the presentation style it looked a lot like the art style of lovers in a dangerous space time which is another indie game at pax worth keeping your eye on i checked out to play last year so I, i didn't uh go back around to it this year, but um, that one's going to be coming out in the next week or so. Anyways, that is uh, Captain Forever Remix. Probably worth checking out. Mechazoo. That is a local game, although I don't know the developers of these ones. Nobody that I've met before, but um, it looks to be like a, 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 an old school Sonic the Hedgehog-like platformer. Um, I, I say Sonic the Hedgehog-like because it's very kind of speed-based and it's it's made for speedrunners who just want to kind of zip right through it quickly, which is super cool. I love games that are able to maintain that sense of flow and velocity and momentum. Also, like Sonic, it has kind of multiple paths through each level, and so you can, uh, you know, really try your hand at, uh, at pulling off a risky maneuver to get to this top path that'll ultimately be faster. But if you fail, you don't, uh, you don't backtrack and try again. You, you just are put onto a different track. It's a little bit slower, maybe a little bit more dangerous, and, and you can kind of figure it out from there and always, always keep that forward momentum going, which is great. I love that kind of thing. The idea is that you play as a robot, perhaps, that can transform in between different animals um, two at a time that uh, can give you different powers. You can play as like a frog that can swing around with its tongue. You can play as a, a wallaby that can uh, bounce up walls and stuff like that. And Butt Sniff and Pugs, that was one that drew a lot of attention. Um, always a long line on that one, so I couldn't play it, but it was just interesting to look at. The controller was a giant tennis ball and a uh, a pug butt. I, I am not quite sure how it was interacted with, but I, I think that controller alone drew a lot of attention. So more power to them, but I'm afraid I can't really give a lot more detailed report on that one. D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die was there. Uh, I think still kind of advertising for its Steam release. I had just within the last couple of days before going to PAX, played through the entirety of the two episodes or so that have been released, which is unfortunate because it's a lovely, lovely, fantastic game that I would love to see more of, but unfortunately it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Looks like Microsoft kind of pulled the plug on the funding of that one, which is too bad, but definitely worth playing for those of you who enjoyed Deadly Premonition but might want to kind of cut down on some of the less interesting parts of that experience. Uh, it's a little bit more streamlined and uh, just kind of gets you right to the weird stuff without all of the open world tracking around and, you know, all the kind of annoyances that came with Deadly Premonition. Distance. That is a 
racing game. I, I say racing game. I think there are competitive head-to-head -head modes, but um, primarily it's meant to be kind of like a single-player time trial type game set in a very kind of computerized Tron-like futuristic environment. It's a sequel to a another driving game that's name ex escapes me at the moment. That was a uh, DigiPen project that um, gained some prominence a few years back. And this game I got to uh, I got to play an early copy of um, because I was judging a uh, another expo in the area recently, and uh, that was one of the submissions. And yeah, lovely game. Um, does some really interesting stuff. Your car can transform into a I don't want to say a plane. It's more like a winged car at that point, and can fly around, which is not restricted to specific flying sections like you would find in Mario Kart 8 or Sonic Transformed. Rather, you can choose to go into your, your winged mode at any point, uh, which is an interesting freedom that it allows the player. that you can, you can make that choice and you can choose to just bypass entire sections of the track. Yeah, I like that it gives players that choice and it doesn't restrict them to just uh, kind of prescripted areas in which you can fly. It looks to be coming along even uh, the build that was being demonstrated at PAX was a lot different than the, the build that I got to judge only a couple weeks prior. And it's um, continuing to to impress. Um, I, I will continue to keep up with it myself. I very much enjoyed the time that I spent with it and will play the full release upon release. Galaxy was there. I'm not going to say a lot about this one because I'm uh, friends with the developers, but it was recently released on the PlayStation 4, uh, kind of a high-profile release. It's another kind of space shooter with some randomized elements, um, kind of riffing off 80s anime tropes. I don't want to say too much about it. I don't want to persuade people one way or the other because I am a little bit more invested in this one. But, you know, check out some videos. It's quite a looker and you can make your decision for yourself. Gang Beasts was there being shown in the Double Fine booth and uh, also in its own booth in the Indie Mega booth that was released last year actually, or maybe earlier this year, I don't quite remember, but it's a four player I want to say, but actually it's more than four players if you can get that many controllers together and find USB splitters enough to make it work out, but Regardless, it is a uh, a 3D brawler, so to speak. It's kind of a silly, you play these little jelly bean people who kind of drunkenly hobble around this arena and you can grab each other and try to drag each other off and to um, you know, throw them off of the stage. And it's, it's not meant to be a tactical fighter like Smash Bros or anything or uh, Power Stone or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's very funny for what it is and it always draws a huge crowd of packs. Just quite comical in the way that it's animated and the way that the physics work out. Yeah, it's, it's very silly, very fun. I, I enjoy it a lot, especially when you get like the eight player mode, which you might only ever get to experience at a PAX or something like that. But uh, just the fact that they can pull it off is it's quite satisfying. Infinifactory was there, um, which was developed, I, I believe that's another local game actually, another Seattle game. It was developed by the same individual who made Infiniminer, who, um, which you might recognize as the game that Minecraft stole everything from, more or less. So if you like Minecraft, you probably also like Infiniminer, which did Minecraft before Minecraft was a thing. But uh, yeah, the developer of that game was um, kind of gracious enough to not be, you know, incredibly incredulous about Minecraft's obvious kind of ripping off of its formula. If I was him and, uh, and this other game had taken my idea and made, you know, billions of dollars or however much it's made by now, I would be... 
I would be quite frustrated, but he went on actually to make some really interesting. He made a space chem, um, and then Infinifactory is kind of a similar idea to space chem, it looks like. This one's kind of a construct assembly lines to create um, shapes or products in the most efficient way possible. It's, um, yeah, quite an interesting looking game. Fans of space chem should be uh, very satisfied with this new development. Keep talking and nobody explodes. This is one that also had a very long line at, at all points. Um, this is a, an, an Oculus game, although I'm not sure if it's going to be played off Oculus, just on screen, but I, I think the experience that they were trying to impart was uh, greatly benefited by that more, um, I guess Oculus is like wearing horse blinders to the rest of the world. You're just kind of immersed in this world, but... And it wasn't even like all that immersive of a game, like you were just diffusing a bomb, which is kind of a cool, stressful environment. And you can really see that people start to sweat when that timer started to run low and their celebration when they were, they were able to diffuse the bomb with, you know, a second and a half left on the clock. It um, was always very, very taut and exciting. So I'm not sure how it's going to hold up off the show floor, that kind of more adrenaline-fueled environment or how it's going to play... Um, on screen without an oculus but definitely an experience for those of you who can play it with an oculus lady killer in a bind this is one of the first games that i played just because i was uh booth was empty and was just interested in talking to christine love because her work is uh pretty incredible um this is another visual novel by christine love kind of in the style of her similar uh, of her uh, previous visual novels she's done a digital love story and then analog a hate story hate plus uh, you've, you've probably heard of things that she's done before. It's more kind of writerly than gameplay oriented. But this one was about a... Um, it kind of dropped us into the story. Um, didn't feel like the very beginning of the story, but you were playing a, a woman who was cross-dressing as a man, cross-dressing as her brother, I believe, to try to I guess, take his place on a like a yacht expedition. I, I believe it was like a school cruise or something like that. And um, you were being fed kind of hypothetical scenarios from um, the, this dom who was um, trying to instruct you how to behave in a manly way how to approach women in a manly way or how to approach other men in a manly way. It's Yeah, and it had, um, you know, very nicely drawn pictures. Uh, the writing was quite witty and it offered you choices that you could make throughout the game. And then there was always the third option of just ignoring those choices and just clicking on and not choosing either of them, which is an interesting way to handle, let's say, dialogue trees. Kind of like how The Walking Dead and uh, Telltale's games includes the uh, just the ellipsis option which is just stay quiet through this exchange except it wouldn't be just staying quiet like your character would just choose to say something else that wasn't one of the options and so it felt a little bit more like a dice roll in that scenario so yeah kind of cool um, you could either choose two options or if you don't like it you can just kind of roll the dice and see what your character's thinking and maybe it'll work out for you and maybe it won't this one was behind a curtain behind a velvet rope uh, because it was uh, there was some more kind of 18 plus content in it which wasn't the <laughs> aspect of it that drew me to the booth in the first place I was more interested in uh, Christine Love's work but yeah it felt a little bit different since you were kind of in this enclosed space playing this game kind of all by yourself a little bit of an escape from the hustle and bustle of the show floor so to speak uh, mini metro 
is a puzzle game in which you get to construct a uh, subway map, which is really cool because it actually looks like a subway map that you're making in those uh, the colored lines. So maybe like the, um, the London Tube or the uh, Toronto Transit system. Um, it, yeah, it's kind of cool. You get to kind of link up these various stations and place the train cars and try to satisfy all of the just little shapes that are going to these different stations and it's it's very kind of quiet and contemplative but it, it gets to be a little stressful later on as you're trying to create the best um, best routes between all of these stations make sure everyone's satisfied and the trains aren't overloaded and whatnot but yeah mini metro Polybridge I got to play. This is one that kind of a physics-based bridge construction game. It's interesting. I enjoy it. I haven't quite sussed out exactly why some of my bridges work and some of them don't, even if I use kind of the similar technique. Sometimes it's better to build um, support structures that raise above the bridge. Sometimes it's better to build supports that extend below the bridge. I can't quite figure out why some of them break and some of them don't, but it's... um. It's a pretty little game. It's quite comical when things go wrong. Um, they gave me a free Steam key just for playing it, which is very nice of them. So it's, uh, definitely a neat game that. Through the Woods is a first-person survival horror type experience. Looks to be a little bit in the vein of amnesia, uh, that kind of just run away from the enemies. Uh, there's no way to uh, combat them, but you are in the woods. Uh, it, it looks less like Slender than it looks like, um, say, Alan Wake is a better touch point. Kind of exploring via flashlight which is a lovely dynamic. They, um, I was talking to developers and they said that they had to turn up the brightness because of uh, kind of show floor environment. And so usually you'd get to see even less than you would. It would be just completely dark outside of the, um, the arc of your flashlight. But I, I guess it's based on traditional kind of Slavic mythology, which is really interesting. I, I like seeing all of these, these mythologies that we may not encounter elsewhere being used in a video game that might get people curious. It's like, oh, who is this monster? Let's go and read some of the history on this. And um, yeah, it just seems to be a really interesting setup for a game. Universe Sandbox Squared was there. They had a another lovely setup. And again, I, I just wanted a disclaimer. I do know these developers. I'm quite friendly with them. And so um, I'm not going to be you know, giving a huge endorsement or anything, but just to say that their booth was super cool. They had a, a huge, huge TV in which they were just running demos of universes being pulled apart and planets colliding with one another and basically they just had one of the team members sitting behind on the computer the entire time just running simulations that he thought was cool yeah it, it, you know it always drew some onlookers and it is a lovely game and it makes you feel very small and insignificant when you look at things on the universal scale like that Wadham was there, which is the next game and the, the, um, developed by the creator of Katamari Damacy and Nobi Nobi Boy. I, I didn't get to play this one. I just kind of looked on and it looked to be a little bit more Nobi Nobi Boy than Katamari, so to speak. It looked to be more just kind of like wander around and make your own fun. Uh, kind of that toy box-like environment, which I, I liked Nobi Nobi Boy, but, you know, it's one that I'll play for 20 minutes. You know, it's it's like a nice distraction, but it doesn't feel like a real meaty game. 
So, you know, if that's not what you're into, then maybe Wadham might be worth skipping. But I I like his style enough, and I like his, uh, certainly his music selection. You know, both Katamari and Nobi Nobi Boy had fantastic soundtracks and very diverse, and, and they're quite relaxing and interesting experiences. I, I like his sense of humor. I like that his games are kind of like Where's Waldo books, and that they have just like wacky things happening that you can just kind of, you know, explore the world and find these strange scenarios, like muscle men rolling on the backs of bears uh having a parade down the street juggling fish you know whatever it's those uh this kind of weird very japanese very kind of childish but more in the kind of like that that innocent like colorful pastel kind of tone it'll be interesting i'll i'll see what comes of it As for AAA games, there wasn't really a lot that, you know, really caught my eye as far as things that I absolutely must talk about. You know, the same old, you know, Assassin's Creed look exactly like you expect it would. I I did get to play Just Cause 3, which is kind of exactly like Just Cause 2, I would say. Kind of indistinguishable from what I played. The level of destruction is a little bit higher than it was previously in that you can destroy entire, you know, radio towers now whereas before you might knock off a satellite dish or something and the effects of the structures crumbling exploding are a little bit flashier and prettier but doesn't look to be all that different really like as i played just cause 2 and was thinking about a sequel like just cause 2 is pretty much a perfect game and as i was thinking about a sequel i was really trying to judge like what is this game missing that a sequel could really bring new to it um what does it need that only a sequel could deliver on. And the only thing I could really think of was more destructible environments, which this one doesn't really seem to deliver on. I always felt a little disappointing in Just Cause 2 to have these big structures like the casino or whatever that you can fire rockets at all day and it won't even, you know, notice. I'd love to be able to take these buildings down kind of Red Faction guerrilla style or uh, kind of like what they're promising with uh, Crackdown 3. So yeah, as we move more into this next generation, I'd like to see more destructible environments. You know, it's one of the best parts of uh, Earth Defense Force 2017 and 2025. So yeah, get on that, developers. So far, Just Cause 3, I'll still play it because I like Just Cause, but it doesn't look to be doing anything new necessarily. Dark Souls 3, this one always had a very long line, but I was lucky enough to get to it very early on, on uh, on Monday. Uh, they didn't bother bringing any t-shirts to the show floor that day, which is really disappointing. Usually they kind of stagger out the t-shirts so that you know they don't go through them all on one day. They save a few for each day so that the people who are who only have one day passes still have a chance of getting it, but that was not the case with Dark Souls 3, which is unfortunate. I would have loved a Dark Souls t-shirt, but you know... That's not what I'm here for, ultimately. I want to play the game. And I wasn't terribly inspired by the demo. It's it's very, very Bloodborne-like. Like, this is a sequel to Bloodborne more than it's a sequel to Dark Souls or Dark Souls 2. Quite fast, you're ambushed by a ton of enemies at once. Combat still feels very good, although the controls at a couple points felt a little unresponsive. Like, I would hit the dodge button, and because another animation was just finishing up or something, like, I wouldn't dodge out of the way, which is 
weird. I don't remember Bloodborne ever doing that, or certainly not the Dark Souls games. Yeah, so it felt a little unresponsive, but you know, it's still a little bit early. It's, um, they still have you know, just less than a year to continue working on it and iron all those bugs out. And also, um, there was a split path, kind of a fork in the road at one point, and one of the forks led to just a uh, complete dead end with, with nothing interesting going on there. And so, I unfortunately chose that fork and uh, spent a lot of my demo time, which we got 10 minutes to play it, just kind of like wandering around Lost, wondering, this is definitely the way that the game indicated that I should be going, why am I not seeing any way to progress? And so I didn't get to challenge the boss, which is frustrating, but whatever. It's a pretty enough game, except it was very gray. Uh, not a lot to look at, honestly. And I'm hoping it's just kind of that one level that looks a little bland, but graphically, it's uh, quite nice. You know, it's just the art direction was a little uninspired. Another game, before I forget that I wanted to draw some attention to, is developed by Runic Games, and it's called Hob. It is a puzzle platformer, kind of like a Zelda-like game. Um, we play this little character who runs around this big, beautiful world of kind of grass and ruins and stuff that you've all seen before. Certainly, it's kind of standard fantasy fare with a little bit of a cyberpunk twist to it, but, you know. Uh, regardless, it's fairly standard fantasy, but kind of eschewing the typical Zelda combat, it had a little bit more kind of involved Dark Souls-like combat, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it just controlled really well. It looks quite nice. The combat was engaging. I don't really know what else to say. It's just it made a good impression. It's just a solid demo. Didn't really do anything super new, but it was uh, very enjoyable for what it was. It just feels like a like a solid product. A couple things like the hit detection and some of the platforming and the jump felt a little off, but you know it's still stuff that they're going to be ironing out. So I'm sure by the time it releases, it'll be quite a uh, quite a nice game. I also wanted to highlight, uh, concurrently with PAX on, or at least during the Sunday of PAX, there was another show going on in town that I've mentioned previously. It is the Seattle Indies Expo, or SIX, and I believe this was the fifth year that they have been doing it, and it's just uh, local indies that get together and exhibit some of their stuff. I, I was a judge this year, got to uh, help eliminate some of the some of the submissions and choose what was going to be shown on the floor. Actually, a lot of stuff here was uh, better than the stuff that was being shown at PAX. Um, it's not all Seattle indies. There was a couple of submissions from Portland, Vancouver, but for the most part, it was uh, it's fairly local. So I just wanted to highlight a few of those games. And um, yeah, just talk to you about some of the more interesting things that you should definitely be looking up. First of all, um, one of my highest recommendations that I could give any game, check out Super Weights. It is Super Weights. That is a top-down, like a bird's-eye view boxing game. Uh, very cartoony kind of style. Reminds me of um, the Rhythm Heaven style. It's a very simple multiplayer. You know, you, you throw quick jabs or wind-up punches and very tactical. It's kind of Bloodborne-like, actually, in a combat, in that you have to, you know, know the arc of your swing, know your opponent's, you know, danger zone, know how to control the space around you, how to quickly dodge out of the side of, of one of their hits, and bait them into swinging at you, dash to the side quickly, and then punish them. It's uh, quite fun. So definitely check out Superweights. That one is a very engaging play. Bitball, another one I like a lot, is a, what is it, is it sports ball or something similar that came out on consoles recently? But anyways, you play these little kind of pre-8-bit, so to speak, characters who uh, are jumping around this big old arena, 
pick up this yellow ball and then throw it at your goal and try to score on your goal. Very fast paced. There's a lot going on. It's a little hard to read at the beginning and really understand what's going on. But once you do, it's um, very competitive, very fun, very fast paced. It reminds me a little bit of like Lethal League, that type of competitive multiplayer, simple 2D games. Definitely worth checking out. Rocket Fist was another nice kind of competitive multiplayer one where you play as these little ro- um, robots puttering around this this little maze, another bird's eye view game, and you can you fire your fist at the other robots with rocket propelled fist, and if you hit the robot and they explode, if you miss, then the fist kind of you know sputters out of its uh, out of its velocity and becomes a neutral fist, which you have to you know zip over and grab you know to fire again at your opponent so you, you have one shot kind of like titan souls in that way and you have to retrieve your fist before you can shoot again so it's always this this really neat uh, dynamic of hiding around a corner popping out quickly trying to shoot your enemy you miss and you have to you know recklessly try to find some sort of neutral fist that you can harness and and fire back before your enemy gets to you um very engaging again it's up to you know two to four players super fun i i enjoy it a lot memories of a broken dimension this one is uh gameplay wise a little minimal it's kind of an exploration type game set in a uh looks kind of like a glitchy type of computer environment um black and white and just it's mostly just a bunch of strange shader effects that make visually interpreting the world around you to be kind of a difficult and interesting task it's like when you uh when you select an item without a texture on it and then you wave something else in front of it and it leaves a trail of you know of that shape or color behind there's a lot of like just like the kinds of visual stuff going wrong in computer games that would usually be ironed out but instead they they really embraced it and tried to explore that kind of glitchier space so you know it's difficult to describe but check out a youtube video or See if there's a free demo or something online because it's it's an interesting experience. I don't know if I really enjoyed playing it all that much, but it's definitely worth seeing and exploring for yourself. The Last Shore is a uh, kind of a Wind Waker-like game, actually. You play as this little girl who is growing up on this, this beautiful island, and this, this game has some wonderful pixel art. And really, that's what drew it to me the most, is that the pixel art is stunning to look at. Very nice. The game controls reasonably well. I didn't get to play that much of it because I think there was an unbeatable boss in my build fairly early on, which is something that I'm sure they're going to be you know, ironing out as the game becomes uh, closer to release. But from what I played, feels great to play. Definitely one that you're going to be hearing more about probably in the middle of next year at the earliest. So still a ways out, but um, you know, at least check out some screenshots or video of The Last Shore because it's a lovely game. A Glimpse Friends. This is cool. This is A-G-L-I-M-P-S-E, all one word, still one word, colon, F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Everything is one word. It is a um, an app you can get for Android and iPhone. And it's a neat little, uh, it's like a challenge your friends to a picture word game, so to speak. You uh, send your friend a challenge, say, find something cuddly, that begins with the letter T and ends with a Z or whatever. And they have to photograph something in their environment and, you know, type out what they think it is with those uh, those letter restrictions on it and um, send it back to you. And you can judge whether or not, you know, you approve of their their snap 
of their picture, and then they can challenge you with something. So it's a nice little, you know, going back and forth and challenging your friends to have an interesting picture game, which I like. It's like a Snapchat the game. Definitely kind of a neat asynchronous, kind of like a trivia crack type thing. So a glimpse friends. Captain Kamala, this is the last game I'm going to talk about, is a lovely space shooter. Again, I'm, I'm a you know, I'm familiar and friendly with some of the developers, so you know, can't really give a recommendation or not, but it, it's a space shooter. I just wanted to highlight that it has a really interesting choice of allowing WASD controls or asteroids controls, whatever you're most familiar and comfortable with. And I like that it gives you that choice. It's, it's very brave for it to allow both control styles, not really prefer one or the other, not really just require the player to play in one way or the other, which is usually not the case. Usually, you know, Game developers will have a vision and will want players to play in that way. So it's very forgiving and kind of them to allow for both styles and both control styles work very well. Also, it has another interesting mechanic, which is a tractor beam mechanic in that you uh, are using your weapons to destroy enemy ships and they will send out escape pods, which um, you have to use your tractor beam to bring into your ship before they escape to a planet and are just gone. And so you have to be kind of constantly switching in between your weapons and your tractor beam to try to, uh, you know, destroy enemies, keep them off your back, but at the same time, not let the escape pods (laughs) escape. And um, yeah, it's just a really interesting choice. Uh, Some interesting combat choices that you have to be making throughout. Anyways, that is a quick little wrap-up of PAX. There was plenty more there, but that's all that I really wanted to highlight today. So I'll let you get back to your show. This has been Ryan Heyman for Lapsed Gamer Radio, talking a little bit about PAX Prime 2015. Hi guys and welcome to this month's playlist game which is Call of the Juarez Gunslinger and join me in the booth this month is Lee and Kevin. Hi Lee, hi Kevin. Hello everyone, good to be back. Hi. So Gunslinger is a first person shooter set in 1910. It's a linear game, the story levels are basically flashbacks with various levels to complete and you play as a famous bounty hunter called Silas Greaves who enters this bar and starts telling stories about his bounties, what his adventures were in the Wild West. Okay, let's kick this off and we'll say, how did you find playing this game? Lee, you've got a bit of a issue with FPSs, obviously your first one in a number of years. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I don't want to be like a. I don't want to just kind of like disparage the entire genre because <laughs> I'm I'm aware it's like probably my own like irrational hatred of them. But I think um, pretty much, obviously, like many people, I was really into Goldeneye on the N64. Um, but I was clearly like the worst out of like my group of friends at that time. So although I enjoyed the game and played through like the single campaign, it was the multiplayer that we had fun with, but I was kind of just had to accept that I just wasn't very good. So I just don't feel like it's a type of game or a category of game in that I've really got much experience with. I did play um, Halo 1 and 2 on the Xbox. They were like kind of ubiquitous, weren't they? Like they were like the games of that platform for many years. And then, yeah, like we were talking about off air, the last 
first-person shooter that I managed to play through to the end was The Conduit on Wii, and that was like another title for the Wii owners listing that I'm sure they were aware of. There was like so much hype around that game, like they really, really talked it up, almost in a way like the strategy games where I was talking to Kev on the last episode, although the Wii was meant to hold such promise for that type of game. I think they were building the conduit up as being like, you know, the real kind of system seller or the killer app for the Wii to show that that new control method is how, you know, you should be playing first person shooters. But, you know, I did enjoy the conduit. But again, it's like um, they're never like really games that I feel particularly good at. (laughs) And I must admit, I did find when we started playing this one, I was immediately out of my comfort zone. Like the first few levels, I just found so difficult and I just couldn't get my hand around the controls. And I think I just generally find for first person shooters really stressful to play, but uh, I didn't uh, break any kind of control pads. And I know I'll let Kevin come in because I know that he had similar kind of experience. (laughs) I've got as far as level three, I think, the third story. And I think I've already gone through two pads. Oh, it does my head in. I can't do first-person shooters. I won't mind, but I've actually done <laughs> several. I knew for a fact it was going to be a first-person shooter. You know, I finished a couple of the Call of Duties. I, I always think, why am I playing this? Still never played them online because I just know that I can only just about manage the story. And then that's it. I can never play against other people, as you've seen on my scoreboard. <laughs> That's interesting that you're saying that you've played like Call of Duty. One thing that I, I did start to notice as I did play through and I did manage to finish Gunslinger was that I did feel like it eased me along. Like um, I felt that, you know, the, the weaponry wasn't overcomplicated and they had the chamber of the of a revolver, didn't they? There's like the progression tree. So you could kind of just pick one route that you wanted to go down and then it, like the XP that you gained from, you know, headshots or whatever, you know, you were able to progress in the direction you wanted. And that, and that was more simplified and streamlined and I must admit actually as I got more kind of used to the controls I I sort of appreciated their simplicity I like the kind of chunky I don't know how to like explain it in terms, terms of game design but when I first started playing it it all felt so light I couldn't get the sights on, you know, who I wanted to hit. And I, I thought, there's no way I can even do a headshot. Whereas actually over time of playing it, I felt that I got a lot more accustomed to it. So I think there's, you know, there's clearly been some kind of good level design that it, it almost guides you and it's not an impenetrable thing to enter into. Whereas I feel like Call of Duty is like a whole other level. I would find that really off-putting, I think, and tough to try and dive into. Yeah, I was thinking about the gun sights. We'll talk about the gun sights at the moment. I think we've actually done it really well. Because when you read about the Wild West and because I'm a teacher, I, I teach it. These guns were very hard to be accurate with. So I almost felt like they'd done this on purpose, that it was a bit off on the gun sight. So I found it really difficult, you know, a number of times throughout the game, they just really be accurate and get my um, gun sight even with the zoom on it and kill the enemies. And I just think they've implemented that inaccuracy of the weapons themselves well into the game. So maybe that's what you've been finding how difficult it is rather than the call of duty right oh it's accurate dead on this has been a bit i think it's a bit off maybe by a few millimeters or whatever on the few pixels it is a bit off i think they've done it really well I think uh, certainly when you were saying you've got to make sure that you take more time and uh, use the zoom because I think before maybe through an experience I was running into battle as it were and like getting myself just <laughs> shot to it. pieces yeah so um, <laughs> I think once I got and I and then very quickly like my preferred weapon was the kind of rifle or you know I think later on you get like a gold one like if you update it 
Um, so yeah, like kind of like more long distance combat, and then just taking more my time and definitely using that kind of zoom button. I think it's like the left uh, left one or something like that. I found that much easier and then you know in the end even someone as like uh, sort of lousy as at these games as me was able to like string some combos together and kind of progress through it I did find the second half of the game far less of a grind although there's some much more kind of intense levels and uh, there's some real kind of difficulty spikes there uh, just overall I just found I was able to plough through the second half and it is those early levels that you maybe you've got stuck on Kev that I certainly found was like the hump or the bump in the road that I needed to get over and I, and I would say although it's completely out of my comfort zone I did at the end of it thoroughly enjoy it so like, I really kind of appreciate Andy picking it because it's definitely one I think I'd have passed over otherwise yeah, definitely. Same here. Like you, I prefer the rifle and the style of it. Uh, you know, the sort of cell shaded stuff. I really do like that. The artwork. Like you said about the weapons, the fact that you've only got three classes of weapons makes it so simple. You've just got um, revolvers and rifles and shotguns. Yeah, and then obviously like the dynamite that yeah. comes into play later on. But Dynamite's <laughs> good for <laughs> Yeah, once you learn not to kind of shoot it after you've thrown it straight away because yeah. it just blows up in your, on your face. <laughs> Yeah, I tend to just leave it uh, about three feet away from my feet, <laughs> which is never a good idea. <laughs> so you got a history then with this franchise, Andy. Is that why you picked this for us? Yeah, I'd actually played the first two. So I played the first one on the PC, and that was where you could be a preacher or a shooter. I can't remember what it was. So the preacher was really interesting. It's worth picking up. And then I played the sequel on the PlayStation 3, and it's more of a two-player one. And I just recently re-picked that one up. Cartel, not as good. I did play it through the first level and it is as bad as reviews say it is. So this was, I'd say, probably a return to form. Gone back to the Wild West while the cartel went to present day. So on the return, they changed it up quite a bit. I mean, I found the game straight away throws you straight in. There's no sort of like tutorial as such. Just throw you in. What really one of the things I did like was your hits were like bullet holes, weren't they, on the screen. Yeah, like on the screen, yeah, yeah. No, that was, yeah. and and that helped you kind of ascertain well how hard, first of all, like how much, how critical yeah. the hit was, but also um, what direction, because again, that was another thing, and it's just the learning curve because I don't play these games, I just didn't have any orientation of where I was, like in terms of relation to the enemies or the environments when I first started playing, and I just couldn't figure out where people were hitting me from, but you know, <laughs> like I say, luckily using that that interface and just kind of being more familiar with the surroundings of like replaying the levels. Um, it, it ends up becoming like far more second nature. Um, I, you're right in terms of they throw you right into it because they do that thing where you're almost getting the story, aren't you? Being narrated to you as you're playing. So that was kind of an interesting quirk because like I, I totally didn't understand to start with what they were doing with the old rewinding <laughs> of the time. So like you play a level and think you've done it and then you had to go yeah. back to the beginning because the whole conceit is that he's in this bar yeah. telling kind of anecdotes and then there's people saying no hold on a minute that's not actually what happened I heard this I heard that so that was kind of quite intriguing I, I didn't really pay well. that close attention to the story because a not just first person shooters but the whole kind of era 
uh, and universe of, of westerns it's just something that I'm, I'm not particularly well versed in so i didn't really know all the different names of people and i couldn't quite follow what the story <laughs> was but you know, it was, i thought it was an interesting uh, you know development anyway and how they were trying to you know match the the actual gameplay experience to the narrative that was being told through the story yeah I'd, i'm not sure whether it's because of that um, rewind thing that even though it's taking you out of the narrative it actually reinforces the story anyway um, you seem to take more notice once it actually rewinds out of it you go hang on you know and it pulls you back into the story more than what it would have done if you were just walking through because I, I would myself just ignore all this plot driven stuff and just be going around shooting just people. trying to survive yeah, yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> trying and yeah. failing I would like to point out <laughs> yeah. I must admit like I was gripping the controller so hard I realised at the end of those jewel sections they were real bastard weren't they yeah they are absolutely <laughs> nightmarish yeah. but I mean actually going back to the story and the, the kind of the, the history of the West the old West that the game draws on there are those um, nuggets of truth yeah. aren't they those little yeah. collectibles I mean I, I largely yeah. ignored them they were just too uh, difficult huh? to worry about whilst you were trying to get shot but um, you, you you can go in and read them yeah. can't you and they do tell you what I imagine is like the historical basis yeah they do give a bit more life to these characters and what you mean say going back to the rewind it was almost like because these characters a lot of them were larger than life so for example Wyatt Earp the gunfight okay corral how it happens is like you know these tales spread out through the west and they got larger and larger and the game sort of says one level you have to do three times because it comes from Silas's perspective then it comes from the woman one of the saloon girls and then it's from the the young man who's heard this story and so you're doing it this part of the level three times and he's like it almost drags you in and says hold on there is a truth behind these stories but there's a lot of tall tales and it lets you play it yeah the whole kind of yeah. Chinese whispers aspect yeah. you're right yeah where it kind of gets distorted through the retelling yeah, yeah no that that was good and I guess in a way like Kevin was saying that the, the overall hook really you, you can it's up to you whether you want to immerse yourself in like the wider universe of the game but ultimately it's this sort of story of Silas isn't it and the fact that he's on this, this quest for revenge and that was kind of well done I think that the, the kind of reveal of that at the end which uh, I won't go you know too much into because I wouldn't want to spoil it for people but that gets really reinforced and I kind of liked how they made you sort of question I don't know your actions you know what you had actually been doing because <laughs> after a while yeah the, the yeah. corpses do stack up don't they <laughs> and, uh, there was a bit of a, a moral toll on my shoulders that I'd like you know shot all these people <laughs> but it's an interesting way to tell the story I mean, with, I mean our last game was Brothers we told how great a story that was and this was done in a way that I've never seen in games because you do hear these tall tales and they do make you replay the level. Telling the story out, you were like slowed down in time, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, that's yeah, that's to get like a sort of an update on the story, a different perspective. And also then yeah. you've got that, <laughs> that kind of almost like inception dreamy quality where suddenly he'd say, oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember now I did this. And then it would actually change yeah. the environment. Like, I don't know, a bridge would suddenly appear that wasn't there before or another area of the level would open up. So yeah, it, it gave it more of a kind of... Um, well, yeah, like it's kind of got a dreamy fairy tale uh, aspect to it. So it just provides a bit of replay and a bit of interest, actually. I thought probably one of the best FPS stories in term you know, that I have played. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I admired like the simplicity of it. I don't think it's like mm. an overly long game no. um i can't remember how much I, I, I don't think there is like a clock so i'm not entirely sure how much time i put in but um 
I would say it's like a fair chunk. You know, we're talking probably like six to, to seven hours, and that was that was perfectly fine for me. I must admit for yeah. this type of game, but um, yeah, the the, the stories like they don't overcomplicate it, and there is like a real clear view. Um, you know of where where you're heading to and where you're going, and I and I did enjoy how you were kind of given a decision at the end of the game of what you want to do. You know, are you going to follow that kind of line of revenge to its natural conclusion, or are you going to I don't know try and hang up your spurs, so to speak? And the, the way that they kind of, that fed it, your decision feeds into like a, a different kind of exchange that you have with the young guy in the bar because he's um is it Dwight Eisenhower that they've set it up as like the sort of future US yeah. president? Yeah, so there yeah. was clearly some you know well observed <laughs> <Spoiler>. nods. <laughs> <laughs> Cutscenes were animated, but I thought that fit in with the theme of the game. The way they did it, it was quite westernised. But they also threw, when you met these guys, it was done in like in a comic book style, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great. I must admit, I did enjoy that, yeah. That, like, they all like flash, uh, crash zooms and split screens and then like their little name come up. Um, yeah. Sort of what you would get like almost in a Tarantino yeah. film. And what do you think about the music? The music's fantastic. I was lucky enough uh, last month when I was uh, sorting out the trailer for this to actually source some of the music. When you actually start listening to the soundtrack on its own, there's um, so much there is actually put into it as far as instrumentation, you know, and um, really worked it out. It's like one of the best spaghetti soundtracks that you've never yeah. heard. <laughs> Even aside from like the music, one thing that I have noticed with FPSs that I've played, they have by and large always had really impressive like production values in terms of like their soundtrack. So, um, you know, all of the kind of gun noises. I remember playing, I think, Battlefield... What is it now? Battlefield... Two uh, probably was the last one I've played of that, and the the gun noises and the kind of ambient soundtrack in that game was absolutely phenomenal. And I can remember yeah. actually Call of Duty Four. I didn't that win quite a few. That got a lot of acclaim, I think, for the you know it's the, it's the design of the instrumentals and the music. And although this is not a AAA retail release and can't compete with those it did remind me again though that one of the strengths and things that i really admire when i ever do try an fps is you know the, the gun noises or the, the call like from the cowboys you know like um i mean i was having to play this again talking about being out of comfort so normally like the consoles in the family shared area of you know where i live and it's something i often do with my wife or my son you know it's much more kind of like a co-op and that's probably clearly why I'm I lean towards uh, Nintendo whereas obviously this is a game that I couldn't play in I mean my wife just wouldn't be able to stand it like she just she would hate, she would hate it the violence and the swearing <laughs> and like the little boys obviously not age appropriate so this would be one that I'd wait till mm. everyone's gone to sleep stick yeah. the headphones on uh, and play and I think that just kind of amplified my immersion in it like I love the way on different levels you could you know, you'd, you'd be fighting this kind of posse of cowboys, but they'd be in different locations. But you'd hear their voices, mm. you know, in the in the earphones. Um, so yeah. yeah, that again, it just sort of made my pulse race a bit. And I did f- found it incredibly, like almost grueling in a tiresome way. Like I really felt like it was a um, a, a, a test of my stamina <laughs> getting through getting through the level because I was just so stressed. Well, um, <laughs> I've been playing it in Dolby Surround. Well, you know, a, a digital five point one, and you know when you've got the voices mm. going around, you can actually 
track down the people just by whereabouts their voice is positioned yeah. is, they, if they're behind you they're behind oh, you <laughs> yeah, there's loads of little touches like that I mean sometimes you, you, you sat down or ducking down and you don't know where the hell the bullets are coming from and so it does take that slow pace of the game because it's unlike COD it is not a running gun you do have to be almost methodical in where you go so you have to run into a bit of cover duck behind it kill a few guys and all of a sudden you're getting hit from all around the sides, move elsewhere. It's not one of those where you can stay in one place, but it's not one of those where you're coming out in the open and you're like some sort of super soldier just killing all the guys. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I had to quickly learn that you really need to pick up as much ammunition as you yeah. can off like the you know the people that you kill another thing is like when to begin with I thought oh god it's giving me all these options of like whether I want to swap my gun for the gun that they've got and I always get lost because I never I always feel like if I've swapped my gun out it ends up being not one that I want to use so like for example I think there's like a sawn off shotgun and that sounded really cool and I thought oh yeah I'll be able to do loads of damage with that but then I I realized it didn't suit my style of play because that's most effective if you're in kind of close quarters whereas I, I like to stay back so um, once I kind of got my head around that again it's just a case of really um, being aware that you need to get the ammo that you need and sort of the, the fact that you've got to reload becomes like kind of like really key so like I, whereas before mm. I probably was running around like a headless chicken and just getting shot <laughs> if you do hang back a bit and just try and put a bit of mythology into what you're going to do then you can obviously reload and you're right and again I like the way you can level up your character so you can reload quicker or you can kind of like tap the square button to put the bullets in faster it was just kind of enough for those RPG elements for me not too complicated really that's the funny part about it because I'm so used to shooters where you just seem to have an infinite amount of bullets of course I'm just running into rooms and stuff (laughs) going bam 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 bang not actually hitting a thing and then realising oh no no bullets uh oh <laughs> here we go bullet <laughs> magnet again bye no but you know like you mentioned the sort of skills and one of the skills like I said is loading your bullets faster you've kept having to press square on the playstation pad one of the interesting things was that you could actually lose ammo mm. that way so it was a sort of danger if you did that even if you're in a tough situation and you try to reload really quick you'd actually lose a couple of bullets because you were actually damaging the bullets, putting them in the gun yeah. so far, are you? Wow, well, that's a salty I didn't even realise. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware yeah. that that was happening. I mean, the only other uh, kind of trick I learned is that sometimes if you're really in a, like, you know, the, the heat of the battle, you can just switch the gun. Sometimes that's quicker than reloading. You know, like, you could just quickly change mm. from your long yeah. weapon to your short Yeah, that was really one, well so implemented yeah. because sometimes in FPSs, change your gun's really slow, but this was just, like, almost instantaneous. So you go from your rifle to your handgun and you were still, and you were firing at the same time. Mm. And did you see when you do your headshot, did it play the animation where he blows on his gun? Very seldomly, yeah. That was quality, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've not seen that one, strangely enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Kevin, actually, it, you might be at the point in the game where I thought oh I'm just not going to be able to get through this and kind of felt like giving up and it, it must be at that around that point that you do get these uh, improvements I guess to your character because then I think it does become more manageable because for one thing I know that there's one of the uh, level ups which allows you to see it gives you like a little fist icon so it does show you where the people that are hiding that might be getting you from the sides are and that's mm. really like invaluable particularly as you get to like a later level yeah. where there's like this um, ghost town set up because it's like you, all the ghosts of the people that you've killed uh, oh, surround wow. you and they literally are waves and waves coming from every direction <laughs> and, and that was just like I thought that is yeah. impossible 
but you know using that um what do you call it oh, i want to call it like dead eye i don't know what it is like concentration yeah, mode or the, something uh, concentration yeah it makes them all go red so you can actually you know see where they are and it slows down time so that's like a you know that power gauge that's and you have to keep using that it's not something you have to save till the end of the level because it does seem to get recharged pretty quickly actually talking about that ghost level i, I thought um what might happen would be that sort of like the amount of times you died in the game might have some kind of impact on how many ghosts came back because i've just constantly felt like i was like respawning you know it's like infinite lives and i thought somehow the game might try and punish me for that in a way right. by somehow kind of like magnifying or using the number <laughs> of times I'd, I'd use lives to times how many enemies would come and i was expecting because of the story he's the ghost of his brothers to come and kind of help me out so i think that would have been a cool kind of like a the way that you could almost get guided assistance in that difficult yeah. part of the game <laughs> and it fits well into the story doesn't it the idea of this he's on this revenge mission but the ghosts of his past are coming and he's actually fighting them so it actually says the game's almost like subtly hinting you that you should go a certain way yeah because in terms of the decision that you have to get make yeah, yeah. No, that's you're right and uh you obviously get that kind of like voiceover that's repeated from um, like the Indian chief, isn't it? The Red Indian chief that talks to him about it. And uh, th- there's also one of those other memorable jewels, isn't there, at the end of that level? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I was cursing uh, on on Twitter when I, I just had to do this crazy dash from like an exploding house. And then there was like, just, <laughs> uh, you know, you get a Gatling gun and you're just killing, literally <laughs> mowing down thousands of cowboys. And then it gives you two people to do the quick oh, draw. And like yeah. I've been struggling with that jewel mechanism all the way through. Oh. <laughs> quick draws just do my head in. That's what slowed me down. I just, I got stuck on, I think it was after the second story, you get the first quick draw, your first proper one where you've got to use both stakes. Oh yeah, that's oh, right, you man. have to move that's your hand around, that's it, that. yeah, to go. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, that just took me ages. Mm. In fact, I actually gave up for about four or five days, because yeah. uh, I just thought, yeah. this, that's it, I've stopped, and um, then bizarrely I picked it up again a couple of days ago, <laughs> and went straight into it and went, oh yeah, there you go, job done. Right, and now I'm just getting moaned now by old man Clanton and a Gatling gun. Oh, is that gun. the one where you have to like hide and sort of throw um, the dynamite at him? Yeah, there is a sweet spot you can get to actually where you can just throw it directly from the rock that you're hiding behind. I think you have to get like the little star that's the indicator of what direction to go. And if you get that just in the kind of uh, there's there's like a triangular indentation on the rock. If you get the, the star just in there, you can actually just throw it, and he can't hit you. So I got really close to that yesterday and then at the, the last second I just stuck my head up <laughs> just as he'd actually started you know, shooting again. It <laughs> was like, oh, not exactly the best timing. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, yeah, if you think the jewels are hard, that one at the end of that ghost town one, um, which I think is like the second, <laughs> it might even be the last level actually. Um, you do like, what do they call it when there's, you know, like the good, the bad and the ugly, there's the three pearls. It's the shoot Mexican, Mexican yeah, standoff. That's it. Yeah, you have to do one of them and I'm just like, oh my God, they, <laughs> expect you to do that like we had to switch between two people and they keep yeah. telling you when the when the game when you get like the level loading screen um it has like this humorous things that says if like you try and bash start whilst it's loading that's dishonorable <laughs> practice in the yeah. west but it also gives yeah. you tips like it's saying you know try and shoot a chicken like real men shoot a chicken before they yeah. win a, a quick draw and i'm like how on earth does someone do that <laughs> like how are they able to still you know not get killed and shoot a chicken so that was an achievement that i just thought there's no way i'm going to be able to get that there is a dodge mechanism when coming to the going, just talking about the game mechanics of the duel i think it's interesting because they do two things don't they 
So it's you have to move your hand closer to the gun, mm. and you have to keep focused on the guy. Now, I think the more you keep focused on the guy, the more chance you've actually got to dodge his bullet if he's faster than yeah, you. It g- yeah, it gives you like a little, um, almost like a clock, doesn't it? At the top, like a circle, yeah. and it runs out of, um, you know, it goes, it counts down very quickly. Um, but you still got to watch, you still got to aim, sorry, haven't you, with the yeah. right mm. stick, but also watch which direction his bullet's going in if he's managed to yeah. fire. And then obviously move the stick to dodge. And to be honest, more often than not, that was pot luck for me. And even during the game, yeah. when you started to be able to dodge, you know, like occasionally when you're near death, you could see it slows down time and you could see the bullet coming towards you. I, I still bent towards the bullet and got, got shot loads of times. <laughs> I mean, I did think it was well implemented, though. I did actually enjoy it because it's sort of a heartbeat. It does sort of evoke those spaghetti westerns mm. and you know, the Western genre, where it just goes, you know, you're like, focus, 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 and then the heartbeats start, and you think, bollocks, yeah. it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. And you have to fight that temptation to draw first, because I think yeah. if you do that, you don't, like, they call it dishonourable killing, and you don't get, like, po- any points or anything, do you? Any, like, the rewards. Yeah. No, I mean, those kind of, like, uh, veneers of uh, intricacies that they put on top of the game, I imagine, would be great for people who like you know, if, if you're a first-person shooter player and they're, they're the games that you enjoy, I think you could probably... There's there's definitely scope to master this. Like, you could be really, really brilliant at, the, at this game, whereas um, I kind of admire that it's got that that level of finesse and that I was able to get through it. You know, like I genuinely thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this game. So I think it's real testament um, as someone who's... You know, this isn't like their, their genre of choice. The fact that I could, I could get something out of it and, you know, feel compelled to play it from start to finish... Um, you know, it's only a, only a positive thing. Um, you know, and if any listeners are thinking, oh no, I'm gonna, you know, it sounds far too difficult, and I don't like FPSs, I would definitely say just to try and give it a go and try and get over that hump of the first couple of levels because uh, it, it's a game that doesn't outstay its welcome, and uh, you know, it has got a lot of kind of merits going for it. It's definitely a game that you would enjoy rather than endure. That is a fact. Once again, just goes back to the Western genre. Is that you know when you get the last breath kills? They're pretty good. Seeing you like. You always get this guy, you know, he's on his last breath and he shoots another. It's like, oh, yeah, that's quite cool. And you get more points for it. And you don't have any health packs to pick up. It just sort of regenerates. And that is quite quick. Yeah, that's it. Like so, you have to get out of the firing line and yeah. take cover. And then, yeah, then it, it, it goes down. I, no, I, I, I thought all of those sorts of things kept it... Um, high tempo but not kind of like completely frenetic where you'll feel like you're having no mastery over it and it's just all a fluke you know that's how I was playing it to start with whereas once I I kind of uh, become more accustomed to the game if I got to the end and finished it I genuinely felt like I'd done that you know like it was my effort and my thinking so it was really kind of satisfying um because um, the way that it's all kind of implemented, you have these momentary pauses where you've got to recharge your health or reload your gun, but then you know you can then you know choose which uh, tactic you're going to use to tackle the next kind of like wave of baddies, so to speak. So no, I, I thought it was really um, highly accessible, like despite my initial misgivings. I just remember Star Wars guy; it was in a mountain far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> And I like the way, you know, we were saying how they introduced like the, the kind of all end of level bosses, so to speak. And it is, yeah. um, it is funny how they kind of draw these 
these names like even as someone who doesn't really know the history of it all but like obviously you got the Jesse James and his brother and um uh, Billy the kid and you know uh, other kind of like um people that if you're you know if, if you understand the westerns and the the old west you'd, you'd recognize these characters and I love the way that they did kind of develop them into kind of baddies and how obviously you the protagonist that you're playing your path and history kind of crossed with all of these different people I mean obviously it's it's a tall tale in itself but that's kind of part of its charm um and you my thoughts was started because at the end you do have a choice, don't you? You have redemption or revenge. He wasn't always like an outlaw, was he? He was is he just like a general, I don't know, cowboy, I guess. And oh, that's it. He was playing a game of poker or something, wasn't it? It was a disagreement yeah. with, the, with a gang. I can't remember the actual posse, but again, it's like populated yeah. by these famous people. Um, and yeah, he, he makes off with loads of winnings and then the, the gang come back and they actually hang him and his two older brothers from a tree. And because his elder brothers are bigger... Yeah. They, they die by the time that the, the branch is broken, allowing him to survive. And then, yeah, the whole game is that he enlists this, he takes on bounties, yeah. not necessarily for the money, but it's more about it allows him to glean intelligence and follow the movements of, of the men that killed his brothers. And then, yeah, like the, the story, like you're saying, that decision that comes, it, he's, we already know because we've played through the levels that he's got rid of most of the gang members and then there's just this one last one. And uh, yeah, it all gets neatly dovetailed at the end. I mean, did you? What did you go for? What was your natural instinct then to go for revenge or redemption? I think after playing through it and all that, I mean, I went for redemption. Yeah, I, I did just because I thought that might be short and I wouldn't have to face another duel. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I get what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess some people might think, "No, I've gone all this way. Like I've killed all these people." And he said himself in the voiceover, Silas, that you know, not even a. Not even a, a, a batload of demons would stop me from getting him, getting yeah. the man now. I'm sure they would have gone for revenge, <laughs> and that's that's <laughs> good in the sense that you get two different endings played out. So it's not yeah. just the, uh, it doesn't kind of just affect how the, the the gameplay of the end of the game changes. It also changes the dialogue that you have and and the outlook that you're instilling on that young man. You know, like we were saying, like the future American president, it kind of changes the advice that Silas passes down to him and you know that's kind of quite clever in the sense of how we know history would then go you know and Eisenhower's kind of role in some of the military conflicts that were, that was destined to come thinking about it any more thoughts Kevin on the story so far are you going to continue playing it yeah that's the thing um, it is very enjoyable it's not a, a game style I would actually really actively hunt uh, it was only because you suggested it and I thought well I've got it free off of the PS Plus store might as well give it a go and even though I'm absolutely pony at it <laughs> it's not stopped the enjoyment of it either which is always a good sign you know you think you're looking at some of these and going, right, that's it, I've had enough, I'm out, and you never go back to it. It's either deleted or you just go and trade it in. But no, I'm going to stick with this because there's like the um, the ghost town level and then obviously you've just been in about your final levels. I definitely want to go, go out there and I definitely yeah. want to go for revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the game itself. Because yeah. it is a tough game. You know, because it's not easy, is it? It's just normal, hard and then New Game Plus, but it is a tough game. There's no easy way through it as such. Not that I've found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I would certainly be... Um, cu- I mean, I'm not going to go back, I don't think, and do New Game Plus, or <laughs> certainly not in the near future. Um, but I, I think if the gameplay is similar to other earlier entries in the Call of Juarez 
uh, franchise I, I may but you know I'd, I'd be maybe keen to try one of those out uh, whereas before again that would have just been an another one of these game franchises that I never would have had any experience of so I think it's good that it's kind of like piqued my curiosity maybe to see what had come before I mean how out of the ones that you've played uh, what, uh, Andy what ones are the you know where do you think would be a natural uh, second point for me to gain entry to the series well I think Bound in Blood I think that's the the better sequel you know the better game out, yeah, that, yeah. That, is that the two brothers that's the two that's brothers, on yeah. PS3 is it yeah, yeah that's on PS3 yeah. and Xbox 360 I think it's on PC as well so that's probably but the first one's interesting enough because one of the cho- the better choice of character is a preacher so you go around preaching scripture while shooting all these people <laughs> <laughs> righteous justice of right, course it is righteous justice <laughs> so you're going around and I can't I mean, I haven't played it for so long but I believe it's, you know, like there's an option you start preaching and then you start killing and some of them do stop you know and start listening to you and you're just firing away killing them all so it is good. I'd actually go play both I won't play the cartel but I'd play no. the first one and I'd play Bounding Blood I think they're worthwhile you know, parts of the series but surely the cartel did really well as far as the critics and the general <laughs> gamers were. <laughs> well, we're, we're reading about it. I was for this podcast. I was just like looking at it and it just says it wasn't finished. You know, <laughs> oh dear! It wasn't. Fin- it was rushed out. And it's not finished. It just seems like an awful misstep as well because they've steeped everything yeah. in the Western mythology and the, the history, and then just to take it to a drug cartel into it. And in, with, you know, in today's times, yeah, it seems a bit weird. Yeah, I think maybe we've gone for the tried to go for the modern Western. Yeah, yeah, hmm. and like I said, it's just a step out of the uh, out of the Western genre. I mean, we do need more games in Western genre, and I think that Call of Juarez deserves a sequel on the PS4 and the Xbox One. It'd be interesting to see if they actually do one uh, with Red Dead Redemption coming out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a worthwhile alternative to Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, because obviously that's a massive open world, what is it, third person uh, adventure game, yeah. Um, but I suppose that does kind of dwarf, you know, even though it's not had a follow-up on PS4 or Next Generation yet. Red, uh, when you first mentioned we were going to do this game, I was kind of thinking, all oh, right, so immediately how does it compare to like Red Dead Redemption? But they're completely different games, aren't they? Definitely, yeah. This actually works quite well though, because if you've used the um, open world of Red Dead Redemption, it's good to actually have a game that's on rails, you know. And sometimes it, that's all you need—just yeah. a few hours, yeah. just going through shooting bad guys. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it does—it does contain all the famous characters of history. I mean, if you're a student of history and you want to read a bit, more, or you want to find out a bit more about the American West, you know, the Nuggets of Truth are really interesting, and that sort of like leads you taking maybe looking into more documentaries or reading about them through books or Wikipedia. So, if I was a history teacher, I'd probably recommend this to a... A-level uh, class. A-level <laughs> class, yeah, because it is but violent. The age. Yeah, yeah, it is violent. <laughs> Not to an 11-year-old, no. But... Uh, <laughs> So we just talk about the arcade mode? I really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, I mean, it is frenetic, isn't it? Yeah, because they're kind of shorter and more, and the enemies obviously are more kind of condensed, so yeah. it's more action-intensive. In- but no, I- I've been finding it enjoyable, yeah. Yeah, and um, you literally do have to walk through bullets because it is, it's about speed, 
and it's about um, just gaining your points because every sh- person you kill, you do get points. Yeah, it does. It does change the way that you like you approach the, the level because you've got to get a high chain, haven't yeah. you? So you've got to get a, a, a certain number of kills or as many kills as possible yeah. within a short space of time. Yeah, and so and then they give you that choice of what weapons you're going to have at the beginning yeah. so that I found that interesting as well I tried like different ones that I thought would be better suited to that style of play but I, I just couldn't get on with it so I, I did end up kind of falling back on no I want something that I can aim with from <laughs> <in> a <the> distance <laughs> so it's kind of get a balance of the two but no it's been great trying to like you know post some high scores on there my last time was headshots a go-go and I thought that's it I'm really doing something here and then I looked at your two score and I went oh god are you joking <laughs> yeah, but, but the only difference will be is like the chain. Yeah, so, and that's that's yeah. where that's what because I've I've been through it and thought I've done brilliantly <laughs> and re, you know it got the headshots and like done it superbly. But it's because if you don't get those that chain, there's just no way yeah. of getting your score up. Mm. You're literally just wading through bullets, having a little time out, two or three seconds, loading your <laughs> gun, and then going at it again. And it's just about hitting the barrels, it explodes. It's just about really using your R2, you know, your concentration levels really quickly. So it's almost like a hard mode, isn't it? But, you know, this is where you just gain high scores. So I've never been really playing but one of these type of modes on any other game. But when you're playing against people, you know, you, you know they set you a challenge, he's like, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and beat that. Mm. So you waste hours of your game time just playing. Try <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on Gunslinger then, guys? Play it. Play it, play it. Yeah, it is. It is a worthwhile game. It is short, eight hours or so. It is tough, but if you fancy a change from sci-fi shoot 'em ups or World War Two or anything else, it's the only really one I can think of set in the Wild West as an FPS. You will get a, a lot out of it. It's got an arcade feel to it, but a slow, methodical FPS is always good. Yeah, and uh, you know, even if you think you're not going to like it, you might surprise yourself because uh, if I can play through it, then it, then honestly, Kevin definitely can, and <laughs> that goes for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Topic Tombola, our roundtable discussion on various topics regarding video games. Uh, this week we'll be discussing one of the original video game genres, racing games. And I'd like to welcome to the discussion another Mark, so we'll call you Chazzy. Yes, hello, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, how are you? <laughs> yeah, doing well, doing really well. Good. And Andy, how are you? Pretty good. So let's crack on with it then. Racing games have spawned a multitude of subgenres and spin-off game types over the years, and given that they've been around since 1973's Atari arcade racer Space Race, we can't do a rundown of the complete history of the genre. Instead, we'll be discussing the racing games that have made an impact on us, and the titles that have taken the genre in a new direction, as well as picking up on the racing games that our community have talk to us about. So, uh, I guess we should start at the beginning and talk about what games first introduced us to the genre. So, Chazzy, do you want to set us off? Yeah, uh, it goes way, way back because I'm an old boy and it's prob- I can probably go, well, not as back far as far as 1973, but quite close. Road Blasters was like the first game that I ever kind of played in the arcades as a, as a wee boy, just seeing the stand-up arcade cabinets with the steering wheels yeah. and just being absolutely fascinated with the steering wheel and being just like, yank it about and play with it and just kind of, you know, being generally a mayhem in the arcades going, Dad, Dad, can I have 20p? 20p to play an arcade game. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then that sort of, but what really probably cements it for me is because um, I'm from South End, so it was always down the seafront with, with your friends and with the family and stuff. And um, it was Outrun, that big 
red cabinet that looked like a sort of chibi Ferrari Testarossa mm. that you used to sit in and yeah that, that music that iconic music magical sh- sound shower and you know uh, what's the other one a splash wave is it and yeah the, the, just everything about Outrun is what really cemented my love for driving games and pretty much uh, everything gets compared to either Outrun or uh, Lotus Esprit Turbo Challenge for me but oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, so that that's where it all started for me. How about you guys? So yeah, I'm going to go further back than you. I'm going to go back to the specky. I'm going to go back, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I was remembering this. It was, um, I had to look it up today. It was um, Checkered Flag on the Spectrum. Uh, I know, yeah, it was by Scion, I think it was, and it was one of the first simulations. And... <laughs> There was no other cars. It was like first person perspective. You start to go around the track. I think there's some accurate tracks. Beat the time, but didn't get very far in it because the engine kept overheating. <laughs> that was an absolute <laughs> bugger. But all you were doing was going avoiding oil and glass on the track, and it did have pit stops. But it was just that sound as you're crawling around the track. Right thing, but yeah, that was probably the first one for me. I mean, it was just through the specky years, so some of the conversions like Chase HQ, you remember that one? That one was, yeah, one... that was fantastic with the um, yeah, with the buttons on the actual steering wheel for shooting, yeah, and just it was different take on the genre, wasn't it? It was just like chasing out your police car, chasing after guys. First one didn't have guns, oh, did it not? Second one, I think. No, the first one didn't. You were just like, you were bashing into him. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know there was one where you sort of popped out the sunroof, like yeah. Miami Vice style. Yeah, yeah. That was the second one. But right. the first one, you were just knocking into him. And then it was just stuff like Weckelmans, the twenty-four hour racer. That was converted by Ocean, I think. But just a sense of speed, even on the Spectrum, was unbelievable. And just titles like Crazy Cars, where you didn't seem to be racing against any other cars, maybe police cars now and then. Yeah, but. Yeah, that was a Spectrum that was the first computer for me, so that's where I encountered it first. I didn't really fall in love into racing games until a a little later on. I I think I'm I'm younger than you guys anyway, but I dabbled with racing games in in arcades and loved them, but never really fell in love with them. The first racing game I guess I really fell in love with was uh, Super Mario Kart on the SNES, and I played that more than I care to admit. I think I've still got most of the tracks memorised. I could probably do some of them blindfold. <laughs> and I had uh, I've got fond memories of of the of the Lotus series as well. That I still love when I see a Lotus Esprit on the road. It reminds me <laughs> of, of that series. Yeah, absolutely. But at the time, I was more into like RTS platformers and and flight sims and games like that. Um, my real love affair with more traditional racing games again began over the course of 1997 to 1999 with the release of to this day some of my favourite racing games of all time over that period we had v rally uh Toka touring cars yeah. gran turismo colin mccray rally and the masterpiece that is ridge racer type 4 i've got ridge racer type 4 on my vita at the moment and i still play it i mean how many <laughs> goodness how many years since that came out there were a few ridge racer games that came out afterwards but ridge racer type 4 is the pinnacle and it's still in my opinion not technically because it's been surpassed technically by by uh, other arcadey style races the burnout series and need for speed and things like that but ridge racer type 4 if if i had to pick just one arcade style racer it would be that game every single time i absolutely adore it so yeah the playstation one era was what cemented my love of racing games and it's something that's continued to this day that's one thing you couldn't move for in the uh, in the PS1 days was a a good racing game and a good rally game as well you don't see enough of rally games nowadays Mm. 
you know, you got the dirt series and yeah. and yeah. kind of a bit in Gran Turismo, and, and that's all I can really think of at the moment. They all seem to be melded into one big game. So I think the Colin McRae is dirt out of it now, yeah. but it just seems to be part of one big thing rather than yeah. The Colin McRae Rally series was that and Toca Touring Cars, and of course Gran Turismo was where uh, I was first introduced to the idea of a racing game being more like a racing simulator than an arcadey yeah. style. Yeah. You know, just chuck the steering wheel around yeah, it and go around the corner. You had to be precise and you weren't, you weren't you know, drifting yeah. all over the place. And you had to, especially with um, Colin McRae Rally, where you had to worry about the damage to the vehicle. And I don't think it was in the first one, but later on in the series, they started to introduce where, um, like in real World Rally Championship, you have like a series of tracks and then you have like a period with your service team to repair your car. Yeah. Yeah. And each of the, the bits that were damaged in the car would take up a certain amount of time and you only got 30 minutes to repair your car. So you had to be really economical in what you could fix and try and get the car to limp through the next stages if you'd had a nasty crash. I mean, as much as I love arcade races like Ridge Racer, my preference with more traditional racing games is more towards the simulation side. Except for the last one, I've played every single Gran Turismo in the series. I loved games like Tokotoro Cars, we're saying, and Colin McRae. I haven't had a chance to try out Project Cars yet, although a few of our, our listeners have and they've, they've messaged in about it. It's absolutely wonderful. It's uh, it's weird because it's bare bones. Yeah. We'll go into it more later, but yeah, it, it is wonderful. But the thing is, with the PS1 era, um, that is where the Gran Turismo series started, and that mm. was such a big, yeah. big deal yeah. at the time because nothing, like you say, that simulation heavy and had that had that much care into its into its physics and, mm. and how an actual car, you know, uh, yeah, you know, the locomotion of a car. That was one of the things that stood out to me the most uh, when I first got it because like I wasn't old enough to be driving myself, um, and my only real experience of racing games had been like uh, more arcadey style. The, the, the one of the things that I remember most about Gran Turismo was the the giant booklet um that came with the game that explained everything about car physics like not yeah. just oh, like i already oh. knew about you know like you go into a corner wide and try and clip the apex and come out wide um to get like a smooth turning circle but the idea of shifting the weight in the vehicle was just i had absolutely yeah. no idea about it and like the fact say- that a ps1 game managed to yeah. to get that, that, that physics engine that's working. That's the thing. If you think think of a PS, PS1 was being shown as the console, the kind of, this is arcade at its best and kind of, you know, all flashing lights and ravey music. Mm. And here you had one of the, probably the most, I don't know, um, easy to get, get your hands around like uh, simulation racers. Yeah. It was on this console. It was amazing. But going back to your manuals thing, that reminds me of, uh, I'll keep going back to this, but Jeff Crammon's Grand Prix um, or Microprose Grand Prix. That had a manual that was about two and a half inches thick (laughs) and it was literally a racer's manual. So it would show it had diagrams in it of like how to apex corners, how to go through S bends, you know, chicanes and stuff, Mm. you know, when to brake, not to brake, like how to set your car up properly. (laughs) I mean, it was literally, I mean, I still refer to it now in driving, driving games when I want to set my cars up because it's it's just absolutely insane. The level of detail that manual went into and you just don't get that nowadays. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that's stuck with me to Great the point. Great education. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, the, the stuff like that stuck with me to the point where, like, a few years ago when I worked in the automotive industry and I got, I was lucky enough to be invited out to um, Continental Tires' uh, test track in uh, just outside Hanover in Germany. Nice. And it was the first time I'd ever sat behind the wheel of anything that could even remotely be called a sports car um and suddenly i'm sat in like a porsche 911 or whatever and suddenly all the all the stuff that i remember from reading through this training man and then gran turismo started to come back i was like okay so i can start shifting the weight in the corners and whatnot yeah Yeah. um 
went into slow slowing down to go into a corner to come out of it quicker yes. and that kind of thing yeah yeah i mean it even covered like different ways of like not the just the going in smooth slow in slow out but like going in super slow and then not clipping the apex but then being able to come out the corner a lot faster and things yeah. like that it would it, it like it wasn't that was an incredible incredible yeah. game totally like, technical like masterpiece. advanced techniques that you just unless you were going on track days yeah. or, you know you would never know Exactly, yeah. And graphically for the time, I mean, this is something that's, that um, racing games have come to symbolise is that they are usually the graphical powerhouse. If you want, if you bring out a new console yeah. and you yeah. want to show how good you can make things look on it, it's easy to make a racing game that looks yeah. stunning. Um, yeah. I mean, the, 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 one of the best looking launch titles um, of the current generation was uh, Forza 5 on the uh, Xbox oh, yeah. One. Drive Club on the PS4 is one of the best looking games on that system. Yeah, because the thing is you get a lot of um, you get a lot of performance out of not very many assets. Yes. That's, that's the greatest part about those yeah. games is they're, I won't say they're cheap to make, but they're you know not as um, performance heavy in certain aspects. No. They've never managed to make the crowd look good, though. No. No, no. Car, they're always carpool cars, and it's always hilarious when you stop yeah. and park up, especially with all these photo modes that are going around. Like, yeah, it's great. So, with that, actually, uh, I remember my mind being blown the first time I played, uh, I think it might have been Colin McRae Early 2 or the third one. Um, the first time I saw one of those um, cardboard cutouts of people run across, like run out into the track, take a picture, and then run <laughs> off as I was coming streaming down a, uh, a straight. Like an animated gif that runs across. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Looked like a Mortal Kombat character came out, took a picture and ran off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the PS1 was also uh, a, a big platform for um, non-traditional sort of racing games. Um, yeah. We had the first like first really good non nintendo um dip into karting with uh, crash team racing yeah. <laughs> um which i've got fond memories of um yeah. then we've also got a game that a game series that i absolutely love and i, I wish still existed um and that's the the wipeout series oh, um phenomenal absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. so so good there, there is something that's coming out pretty soon on the wii u that looks very similar which is a uh, fast racing neo it looks like a sort of hybrid of F-Zero and Wipeout. So you might want to get on that and have a look. Ooh, by Shinjin- my interest has peaked. Yeah, so it's by Shinjin Games. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it, it looks fantastic. It runs really buttery smooth as well when I look at it. But yeah, carrying on, Wipeout is an absolute, you know, just an absolute monster. I, I remember like my, my story, and I've, I've said this a few times on a couple of podcasts, but uh, my story is I started working in an advertising agency and uh, literally the first week I started was the week the PlayStation 1 came out and we were next door to HMV in Oxford Street. Yeah. And the creative director uh, went out, bought two PlayStations, uh, had one in his office and just threw on Wipeout. <laughs> and then throughout the entire day was just going, dragging people into his office going, come and play this, come and play this. And I was like the junior. I didn't really have much to do. So I just yeah. sat there with him and played Wipeout all day and there's this pumping rave music. Yeah. And like the graphics were stunning. And, you know, and it's all this like kind of real minimalist. Yeah. Uh, design with like Designers Republic it was the first time that like an actual design house had been brought in to kind of really you know make the UI of the game look really stylish and amazing and it just everything about it blew me away and from that moment I started saving up to buy myself a Playstation 1 because I was just like I have to have this game because I I wasn't really I mean at the time Playstation 1 everyone was like I'm not really interested in this Sony Sony can't make a console you know if it's not Nintendo or Sega blah 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 but just seeing that was like no I must have this it's just such a system seller it's not even believable and then to go on 
to make uh, Wipeout 2097, which is arguably yeah. probably the best one in the series. Yeah. Um, you know, to have the combat and the racing at the same time was really like innovative for, for the era and stuff. And oh, it's just everything about that was just wonderful. It was just perfect encapsulation of that that time. You know, just fun, arcadey, bright, stylish, um, even sound, fast. Yeah, and just you know, and it just everything about it was just just says you know the nineties. Yeah, I mean, that sold the PlayStation with it, didn't it? When they put it all in the clubs, that's all you could see was wipeout everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was literally like you know you were having your visualizers in the in the raves and stuff and, and it was you know you, you were sort of playing one of those in, in a way you know but yeah no absolutely stunning game and, and a, a series that I, I love to this day you know I've, I think I've bought every single one cool. like the day it's come out but, uh, eventually at some point you know your reactions get dull <laughs> as you get older and you, you just can't hang on anymore and it's like oh <laughs> yeah. you, know, you get worse and worse as you get older and older unfortunately you start bouncing off all the walls yeah. yes yes <laughs> get frustrated with it and start smashing controller yeah. <laughs> did they do roll cage as well yeah it was wasn't the same because uh, it was studio yeah. liverpool uh like um who did mm. the wipe series but then it was, I want to say it was, uh, oh, was it Attention to Detail? Right. Were drafted in by Signosis Sig- uh, mm. to, to do the Roll Cage series. And it was kind of like a bit of a spin-off where you could actually, yeah. the cars, the, the tyres were so large that you could flip the cars over. And that was a lot more about taking shortcuts. Yeah. And yeah, it, the, the tracks were a lot more wacky and wild and you could do a lot more things because you could go upside down and stick to roos and up was down and down was up yeah. and yeah it's that that is a wonderful series yeah. they try again a, a team has just tried to uh bring that or is trying to bring that back to um to life as a game called grip right which they tried to kickstarter and a kickstarter failed because they weren't going to get the money but um they're now on steam Greenlight and looking to oh. try and fund themselves that way but yeah i think it's two guys i want to say it's two guys who were part of the you know yeah. the roll cage team but I, I might be wrong about that yeah but yeah, no, Roll Cage was absolutely fantastic. And again, game. yeah, like a wonderful soundtrack with like Fat, Fat Boy Slim and stuff. Yeah. And like, I remember, was it Wipeout that had the, one of the first kind of um, licensed soundtracks with, yeah. you know, the Chemical Brothers so, and stuff yeah. and actually put out an album. I remember, I, I remember there was an album with Wipeout, yeah. Yeah, but I can't remember if it was the first proper fully licensed by the Chemical Brothers. I can't remember. Yeah, it's like, it was just like a compilation of all the tracks yeah. on, the, on, the, on the disc. But yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. One game I'd I'd remember is Destruction Derby. Yeah, that one. I think that was the first. That was, was on the demo disc, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. the arena mode. I think it was on the demo disc when you had one of the arenas. Yeah, and that one that was a launch title. I think it was for the PlayStation, and I just remember just being wowed by that game. There's the physics involved. The, the fact that your car was absolutely bashed up. You know, and crumpled, and you use zones to protect. So you're always going one side of your car would go red. You're going, oh bollocks! You know, yeah. so you try just, to just the destructibility, <laughs> and it was just a, a wonder at that, that at that time, wasn't it? I know. Mm. And then you felt like Benny Hill, though, because you get chased by all the cars. <laughs> so you always get run. But I do remember the second one had a better was was a better racer. Mm. You know, rather the first first one was good. Just it just showed it off. It was more like a demo of what the PlayStation could do. While the second one, they added the race mode in it rather than just the arenas and getting chased and everything. So that was one of my favourites, the Suction Derby one and two. Oh, wonderful. That, that leads me on nicely then to uh, Carmageddon. Oh, yes. Which I, which, <laughs> yeah. I, which I had on the Mac and I, I kick-started for the, for the most recent one. But um, many an hour was spent in a, a studio late at night 
you know, after work, after working a late, and then just the whole studio would shut down and go, right, calm again, calmer time, yeah. <laughs> and then that would be it. And we'd stay there from like six o'clock through till nine, ten o'clock, and then, you know, and then go home. It was, there was just something absolutely magical, but anyone could pick it up and anyone could get the idea of, right, take your car and smash it into that other car and yeah. just do crazy stuff with it you know try we were doing stuff where you'd go up on buildings and try and you know just pile drive straight down onto people and yeah we got into some really really crazy shenanigans in that game but um unfortunately it was a bit too puerile and um wasn't it a subject of a ban didn't we have to turn into zombies or something yeah, yeah they, they had to green um, blood, the releases there yeah. to yeah change the the the, the people green to blood. zombies yeah so i've got i've got the red blood version <laughs> from, the, from the mac so i literally bought it the day it came out and uh, I, yeah it was uh, and i don't think i ever patched it so, uh one yeah. race well, it's not really a racing game per se but it kind of fits into it um that i remember fondly from the ps1 era was the uh, the first driver um mm, yeah, i mean yeah. that was more around um car chases and things like that but this was this was in an era before gta had stepped into the 3d world I, i'm pretty sure driver yeah. came up before gta 3 i'm yeah. pretty sure yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was it was quite close i, I don't about I remember same time well yeah yeah but i remember driver driver all i really remember is that first kind of mission oh, of just getting getting oh, your head yeah. into it and it a bit and it being a bit of a nightmare yes yeah. yeah um it could be driving around the car park wasn't it yes yeah it, that game yeah. could be incredibly difficult at times but then like it, it would have such amazing moments and it knew that it was going to have amazing moments because like um they included a uh a replay editor so that you could cut together your own yeah. bullet style <laughs> like, um, yeah your own 70s yeah. cop show yeah like montage yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that, that, that was the first game i ever played that had like a, a some sort of replay editor in it um uh, that's a. Uh, I, I mean, I, I played quite a few more of the series. I haven't played Driver San Francisco, but I heard good things about that. But yeah, um, yeah. I wish I wish I'd have played that because that just sounds in, that sounds insane. Yes. Where being able to zip between yeah. cars. Yeah, you know, I might have then, to try it out at some point. Yeah, we're completely ignoring the N64, of course. The only racing game I can really remember from the N64 was uh, Mario Kart 64, though. <laughs> I don't think oh, right. I played any other ones on there. But um, I was going to say uh, you didn't. You weren't a Diddy Kong fan then, because like oh me. no, of course, mm. yeah, there was that as well. Yeah, completely forgot about that. Um, Absolutely <laughs> loved Diddy Kong. Yeah. As you know, oh, I could have played that for hours. Playing <laughs> going back to an hour is shockingly yeah. bad. Yes, but at the time, just to be able to like. You know, have the plane or have the, you know, have Mario Kart, but it'd be a bit more sort of whimsical and, I don't know, sort of more like, uh, you know, Super Mario 64. Yeah. But it was kind of a bit of a sort of contained world mm -hmm. that you could drive around in. Yeah, that was just bonkers. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. But yeah, it was great. Just to, just to have something that kind of silly and fun. I'll tell you what, what that always reminds me uh, is um, Banjo and Kazooie Nuts and Bolts mm -hmm. and that kind of. Just that real fun whimsy, but all based around driving and, and vehicles and stuff. Yeah, that, those two are always like linked in my mind. Oh, because I didn't have an N64, so it was two kart games I played with PS1 were Crash Team Racing nice. and Muppets Racing Adventure, I think it was. Yeah, the Muppets, yeah, the Muppets had a car game, and it was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, you were bobbing around. You know, the, the handling was pretty poor. But yeah. Yeah, I do. It it was linked in to all that, you know, the cart games. I tell you, time. talking of weird, like sort of, because everything was a cart game back then, wasn't it? And um, I seem to remember there was a was it WWE Crush Hour, and it was basically wrestlers in cars trying to 
smash each other off the road. That was that was always an odd one for me. Just it just it was like right, we've got a license. What can we do with it? Stick it in some cars. That'll do. <laughs> it was like that Formula One game on PS3, wasn't it? F1 stars or something. Yes, yes, and they sort of again sort of chibi um, sort of you know, cartoon versions of yeah. the real drivers. Yeah, that was always that's always a bit odd. <laughs> so any any more 64 games or um no um i think we should probably mention at this point the the one truly brilliant racing game that was on the on the the ill-fated dreamcast yes in crazy taxi yes see i, I know crazy taxi from the arcade yeah i never i never got a chance to play it uh, in the arcade unfortunately the dreamcast session was the only one i uh, was the only one I ever played um yeah. But I can imagine. I mean, I'm having a look at. I'm looking at a picture of the arcade cabinet now, and I really want to play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah, um, but you do feel a bit of a burk. Sort of stood like I've always played it on the stand up again, the stand up ones, and you do oh, okay. feel a bit silly. Yeah. You want to sort of sit down and play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Crazy Taxi was just utterly bonkers, and it, it's a, a style of game that's been not copied, but that sort of style has been used in in um, other games as well. I think we, we've got yeah. one that we're going to mention. Yeah. The, the only other game that we we would be remiss talking about is metropolis street racer as well okay i've never played that one uh, again very much like sort of the, the dreamcast version of um gran turismo really ah, okay okay yeah it was um yeah it was it was very shiny it it, it was your graphical showcase mm-hmm. for for driving games um at the time that was the one to have if you had a, had a dreamcast basically yeah and that's about as much as we can say about that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so moving on to um PS2 and, and original Xbox. We shouldn't ignore the Xbox yeah. as well. Or the GameCube. Or the GameCube, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we don't hate, no, we no, don't hate Nintendo. One of my favourite Mario Kart series is on the on the GameCube, so we'll, we'll, we'll uh, dip into that in a bit. Well, you can start with that if you want. Uh, oh, yeah, we, we can start there. Yeah, Mario Kart Double Dash. The much maligned Double Dash. It Was was it Double Dash? The one where you had someone on the back of the car as well? Yeah. Yes, that was the one. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And you could, you could switch. Yeah. That was a whole thing, wasn't it? You had, you had a game of Tekken. That, uh, was it Tekken Tag Tournament? Yes. That was a big thing. And then all of a sudden, tagging was de rigueur you know yeah yeah but yeah that double dash is, is i think in the community is actually quite much maligned it's not known as one of the better yeah i'm, I'm not sure why because I, I that's one of my favorite mario kart games in the series i haven't played mario kart 8 so i can't include that let's put it this way mario kart 8 would blow it out of the water yeah yeah i've yeah. heard it's a masterpiece and i, <laughs> yeah, I will get wonderful. around to playing at some point but yeah. a friend of mine had a gamecube and a copy of double dash uh, when i was at uni and we ended up playing it pretty much every day <laughs> i'd pop around to his after lectures or whatever and he'd been there for hours going around the i can't remember the name of the track the one was just like a long oval two long straights with like a wide corner on either end yeah. just trying to set the fastest possible <laughs> lap he could shaving off a couple of like milliseconds by taking a corner a little bit tighter yeah yeah, yeah basically yeah. a bit more <laughs> he became obsessed with with beating like setting the, the fastest lap he possibly could in this track and then none of us could possibly beat him on it but that was that was an incredible game. and uh, it had a, a really interesting uh, multiplayer mode as well where you could play four player <laughs> um but two people on each cart. Yes. So one person would be driving and the other player would be at the back throwing out shells or whatever. And then you could swap at any point. And depending on who was in the back and who was in the driver's seat, the car would handle slightly differently and you had different special pickups depending on which character was was uh, sat where in the vehicle. Yeah, I think it was their, I think it was their attempt at trying to just shake up the formula a bit because uh, by, yeah, by that stage... Yeah, I, th- I think it really did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I just don't think um, a lot of people were kind of... I, a lot of people weren't really kind of ready for that. They just wanted what, you know, as gamers are always. I just want what I know. Yeah. But what more of a sin. Yeah, exactly. But having said that, um, like, yeah. it's a great game in its own right when you look back yes. at it. Yeah. 
it's still still very very playable as well mm, i wonder how much of uh, the drop off on that was smash brothers really took off yeah. on the gamecube yeah and i, I wonder if the, a lot of people just moved over to smash brothers at that point and stopped playing mario kart for whatever reason but um, yes i mean yes. that was an incredible game uh, yeah. i didn't i don't think i ever played it, any other racing games on the on the gamecube if either of you got any to mention no not me no. i came to the gamecube very late i, I bought one I don't know, about eight years ago so yeah <laughs> yeah that very late i bought it sort of second third hand so yeah i've never never really got into gamecube that heavily but um, uh, well i guess before we move on to the big one we should mention um any games we played on the original xbox the only one i played on uh original xbox was i uh, was the the first forza yeah. was on the original yeah, xbox, so that for, believe, yeah, yeah. For, forza one yeah was was on the original xbox and again that was that then sort of took on the mantle of the driving game to have you know, yes, if, you, yeah. if you weren't going to get Gran Turismo, then Forza was the, you know, the, the young upstart coming through. Yeah, you know? it was the first genuine contender. Yeah, also, um, w- that we haven't spoken of as yet is um, the Burnout series as well. Of course, yeah. Because you had Burnout um, sort of 1 and 2, which were seen as, I don't know, they, they yeah. were just seen as kind of, you know, mid-range games that you kind of, you bought and then sort of put aside. But then with 3, uh, Burnout 3 Takedown, they added this whole sort of takedown mechanic and aftertouch yeah. and it was so quick and just... One of the best arcade driving games you, you can buy. Um, I, I, I won't waffle on about it because I could gush about it all day. But <laughs> um, but just to add that combat element into pure racing was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But then on the Xbox, original Xbox, uh, you had, was it Burnout Revenge? Which just took that on. No, but Revenge. Oh, no, yes, it was. And then it was ported to um, yes, 360. 360, yeah. 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 So that was that kind of era. Mm. So, yeah, the, um, they, they were the games to, the racing games and the driving games to have on the original Xbox. I know that. Yeah, Burnout Revenge. Uh, and to a lesser extent, Paradise. Um, I didn't play an, as, enough Paradise paradise burnout revenge was sort of like the um a go-to past the controller you know couch yeah. multiplayer sort of game um just take it in turns to have a crack at whatever we were trying to to accomplish on it um mm. and by the time paradise came out a lot of the people who'd been playing revenge could have sort of dropped off so i was the only person left um yeah. so they didn't have the same attachment for me yeah. but that just that idea that feeling of being able to crash into a car yeah. or have a car in front of you crash to to be able to have the fidelity yeah. of control to yeah. slide under a car flying up above you yeah. to take someone out <laughs> and, and to be chaining combos in a driving game was just, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no feeling like it. And it had the genius multiplayer mode of the crash party. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's it. Where everybody yeah, takes mode. it in turns to uh, try and beat the other people's yeah. high scores in those those crash events which were just glorious fun yeah you, yeah you like they, they, they were like you sort of it's like a singular level set up the skittles were set up and you just had to knock yeah. them down sort of thing what crazy. wonderful but then to, <laughs> but I, the thing is with that that whole series then to take that onto paradise yeah with criterion and just turn that into a, a into an open world but not just an open world an open world that had no no loading screens no you know it, it was all streaming you could just pull up to the lights pull both triggers and that would initiate a race of some description, you know, to be able yeah. to, you know, there were cars in the world that you could pull up to and, and do the same sort of thing and then just, just be racing and, and away. And also, like, with the DLC, where that that sort of sport... Uh, as you can tell, I love Burnout <laughs> yeah. Paradise. I have a bit of a thing for it. I think it's probably one of the, the greatest racing games ever made. But it, it completely... Um, this. Uh, started this whole rollout of what the, the master plan of what mm. DLC should be. They decided at Criterion that they were going to yeah. roll the DLC out over an entire year and have you keep coming back, you know? And, and that was just not a concept yeah. at the time because this is a time of like horse armor and you just pay, you know, £12 and mm. 
you know, you get something useless. <laughs> it, it was just a, a, a small code dropped to your machine, but this was actually proper whole sections of tracks and things to do. Yeah, yeah. It, and it was um, it was all quality content as well. That yeah. was when they introduced bikes yeah, as exactly. well. Yeah, exactly. They added a bike mode, they added a yeah. whole extra island. Mm. From where that game started to where that game finished was such a phenomenal expanse of stuff that you got and, and expansive not just the you know physical trinkets but the, the whole world blew up around with it yeah. it was just so masterfully done you know to, to give you the collectathons we're going through the, the, the billboards to give you the crashing of the racing you know to have the mode I can't remember what it's called where you have to um, you basically turn it into Katamari Damacy and, and you kind of you know go bouncing down the road and you've got to try and it, it yeah. took crash mode and it expanded that you know just there's so much stuff packed into that game it's absolutely incredible and, and the fact that you can pick it up now for like five pound mm. in a steam sale everything it's just like oh, you should just everyone should have that game it's still a beautiful game as well like, oh, it still stunning. looks lovely yeah absolutely stunning especially on yeah. the PC uh, before we um, proceed any further down that well, I guess we should go back and talk about PS2 era because I, I mean it was the, the, the continuation there was more Wipeout there was more Colin McRae we had yeah. more um, Gran Turismo I, I tell you, yeah. tell you there's a, uh, a series that doesn't get a lot of attention but should do is mm-hmm. the MotoGP series back on the PS2 yeah yeah, yeah. To, to take bikes which are inherently very difficult to a model the physics of because mm-hmm. the way you ride a bike is, is really difficult yeah right uh, you know and it's, it's so counterintuitive mm. to how you would you know it's, it's not pull the accelerator push the brake you know like that that you can model onto a controller with a bike, you've got, you know, the pitch and the yaw of the bike rocking backwards and forwards and, and that kind of thing. And the, and the slide at the back end and all that, you can't really get the feel for it. But with the MotoGP series, they somehow, on in the PS2 era, absolutely nailed what it feels mm. like to, to get on a bike and that sense of speed and that sense of looseness at the same time. Absolutely wonderful series. And like you say, when the back, when you go around the corner and you've, you're just pushing the back end that little bit too far and the back end you can just start to feel it creep out but you can just pull it back in with the stick you know just keep that slide going but still keep the power on absolutely wonderful sense of feeling in that right. game yeah I mean they, they took what uh, Sega had accomplished with um, with Hang On and just taking it to the next level oh absolutely yeah. I can't think of anything else much it was a period where I dropped out of racing well that, that, is, a, that is another phenomenon isn't it that that as uh, driving games have been going on for the time of memorial, that, that you, you sort of it it sort of is in the background at all times, and you don't really pay attention to it because it's just always there. And sometimes yeah. it has a massive resurgence, like you say, with a wipeout. Yeah. Um. And then and then other times it just fades away. Into, it feels like at the moment it's sort of faded away and back into the the background a bit. And you've got your project cars and you've got your Forzas, and they're trying to drum up that interest again. It's yeah. just waiting for that. Yeah that burnout or that that thing to come back out and go driving games wow yeah you know microsoft's are still plugging away like trying to make the world really care about the forza series and they sell well but it doesn't have the racing games don't have the same draw they're not sexy no and and you can throw as much presentation at a driving game as you like Mm. but at some point that it's what you're doing on the track has to be sexy and let's be honest sim racers i love them I am so anal. I want to be able to hit the perfect line. I want to be, you know, cut, I want to be judging the car in front of me and where he breaks and where he doesn't break. Know that he's coming into a double apex and I can come out wide and nip in underneath him and this kind of thing. No one wants to do that. I want to hammer into a corner, jam the brakes on in the last minute, smash the car out of the way and drive oh. out, you know, drive out the other side. Mm. It's it's not a mentality that mm. most people playing driving games want to 
have or, or find exciting. You know, you've got to be a, a certain type of person to have yeah. that motorsport mentality. Yeah. And unfortunately, you're, you're with these, the Forzas and the Gran Turismos, they're, they're trying to cater to the people like me who want that, you know, real technical driving. But, you know, they, they keep dialing it back and back and back to try and pull in, the, pull in the mainstream. And I just wonder if they need to kind of, you know, like with Forza, where they've separated into Forza and Forza Horizon, you know, that, that, that is a great way of bringing people in. I have issues with the Forza Horizon series because yeah. I feel it's dumbing down the, the Forza name. I think Forza should just be a racing brand. And if you'd have just branded those Forza yeah. Horizon games, anything else, Metropolis Street Racer, uh, if you'd have called it Project Gotham Racing, yeah. you know, I would have been all over it like a rash. But, you know, that's just, a, that's just another issue for me. But the, the Horizon games are nearly there <laughs> in that kind of, to, to draw people back in. But I just, I wonder what it is that is the magic, you know, the magic tick, the golden ticket to bring people back. I think there might be a lack of risk. You know, when you know, when we've talked yeah. about it all, we've the risk averse in in the in the industry, in the industry, you know, like they've gone for the graphics, the simulation type, which is nothing wrong with that, and they've gone for that realistic look. But we've just talked about loads of games, Wipeout, Destruction Derby, Crash Team Racing, all the others, you know, and those risks taken. You know, burnout was a risk. Yeah. You know, let's do something a bit different. Oh, yeah. Let's feed people. And so people engaged with that. The sword loads. Yeah, Stuntman as well. I remember yeah. that series. That was a, you know, that kind of series. Yeah. They're, 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 they're games that, like you say, people have taken yeah. a risk on and got their fingers yeah, burnt. Yeah, they have. But at least we, we try and risk. Here, it just seems to have gone every, I mean, Drive Club, beautiful looking game. It's difficult. I enjoy it. It's difficult for me to say what tells it apart from Forza or anything else, which I haven't played. You could put like 10 screens, show the 10 recent released driving games. What's the difference? Yeah, none of them have got their own visual no. style. They're all going for yeah. ultra realism. And I mean, even a series, I can't believe we haven't mentioned yet, but mm. uh, like Need for Speed, they yeah. still try and go for, I mean, it, it's very obvious when you start playing it, a very arcadey game, but in terms of look, yeah. it's just kind of like a realistic looking. That's, that's a game from the PS2 that we haven't mentioned is the Need for Speed Underground uh, series. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm going to come back to Ridge Racer Type 4 again, but um, there aren't any races like that where they've got like a very particular visual style and a very particular um, way of designing the vehicles. Like they don't care about modeling real vehicles. They make up their own ones. I mean, like one of the best cars in in, um, Ridge Racer Type 4 was was a three-wheeler with like one wheel at the back and then two (laughs) wheels at the front. It was an incredible (laughs) car. And there was like uh, a rocket car that looked a bit like the uh, white version of uh, the the old um, Batmobile. There aren't any games really... Like Burnout was uh, was probably one of the last ones to do it, like a big budget racing game that would just just create its own vehicles and its own look, and its own yeah, style. Yeah. yeah, I mean you could throw in a DeLorean and, and, and kit. Yeah, but you could also have throw in bikes and. But there was so much love poured into that game and just so much care and attention. You know, it's you know like with like with uh, Metal Gear Solid Five at the moment, you look at that and and you can see every single piece of that has been thought of and, and debated and just absolutely honed. Mm. And the same thing is true with Burnout Paradise. Yeah. Like I, I know that team. Yeah. I, like, I've seen that team go on to make other things. And yeah. You can just see the, the real obsession with that. And if you're really into uh, like your, your ridge races and, your, and and that kind of stuff, the game that you might want to keep a, keep an eye out for is um, a game called Drift Stage. And it's basically it looks like what you remember Outrun to be like, but the whole game is um, in 3D. 
sort of PS1 style. And it's all about just drifting around the stage as fast as you physically can. But it's that kind of rate, like Ridge Racer. If you're not go, if you're not looking out the side window, then you're not going fast enough. That kind of thing. You know, you're not drifting and going fast <laughs> enough. It's all about going sideways. It looks absolutely stunning. I've got, um, like I've been following it for a while, and I've like had a, had a go on the kind of the out, uh, the beta and stuff. And if it's go, if it goes the way I think it's going to go, then that's going to be a great little sort of indie PC title to keep your eye on. And that's got that visual style as well. That just kind of, you know, just something a little bit different. I mean, I remember Virtue Racing. Do you play Virtue Racing? Yes, yes. That that was I was at college at the time, and every dinner time, yeah. we'd go across the university and just throw pounds into the machine and play against. See, Virtua Racing always reminds me. It's yeah. that era of Sega Rally, Daytona, and Virtua Racing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and they're they're like they were the three powerhouses. You know, oh mate, Sega Rally, like queuing up for Sega <laughs> Rally was like a thing. You know, to get your pound in. You know, to, yeah, to but maybe that's off. why uh, the driving games maybe got stale because there's no arcades. So the lack of arcades and um, a lot of the games, driving games, did come from the arcades. Yeah. And that, yeah. So if they're not there to encourage people to play and then you bring them to the home systems. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's always better to have the steering wheel in your hand and the pedals and that, yeah. that kind of interaction with it. You know, like unless you're going to spend £200, that, that, bar- that barrier to entry is is so great it's it's not even funny you know like i know like microsoft has tried to bring out these like sort of controllers that you sort of hold in the air and i had one of them wave about <laughs> and they're just not right oh i got one of those with forza 4 yeah. uh on 360 and um it was that was the the uh the wireless wheel or something like that they called it yeah. um yeah and it's sort of like a u-shaped thing that you hold like kind of like a steering wheel and it's got big uh, big it always reminded me it. of some kip, some piece of like fitness equipment yeah that- yeah, you never really wanted on it and knew how to use properly and then just sort of tucked away behind the sofa eventually. <laughs> no, I've still got mine sat on my shelf. Uh, I used it quite a lot for uh, Forza 3. Um, once you got used to holding a steering wheel in midair and, and turning it, once you got that done, you could make half decent turns. Um, mm. I much preferred it to using a controller. Um, yeah. My problem with, with racing, my problem has always been with, with racing games, using an analog stick is... There's no fidelity, no, is No, there's there? not. It's like, I, I can't stop myself from being like dead center or full lock in either direction. Yeah. And you can't take nice smooth corners like that. So it definitely helped with that. And the massive triggers meant you have more control over mm. uh, the accelerator and the brake, which in a game like Forza is um, incredibly important. Yeah, I've got a friend who um, is into Gran Turismo on the uh, PlayStation 3 yeah. and he bought a specialist controller that has an actual physical pedal <laughs> instead of an X button. Wow. So you can get wow. the analog, wow. you know, you can get the, the full <laughs> analog like push down of like the you know, brakes and accelerator. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a mad controller, but it works really well because you do really get, you can like go, you know, quarter throttle, half throttle and, you know, just, you know, somewhere in between. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Weird. Do you remember um, um, the crazy controller that Namco released for... The one that splits in the middle? Yeah, and you twist it yeah. to turn. That's oh, yeah, it, yeah. For one of the Ridge Racer games. That, that controller was bonkers. Wow. Yes. Is it a Neo, Neo, Neocon? Um, I can't remember what it was called. Something like that. I'm going yeah. to have to look that up while you're talking. <laughs> that was a crazy controller. But yeah, um, Racer games have definitely spawned quite a lot of um, peripherals. Like, if you want to go for top end, it's they're probably the most expensive gaming peripherals you can get. Like, even more expensive than a really good joystick. 
uh, with like the throttle stick and everything like that. Like if you want a decent uh, steering wheel with force feedback, um, you're looking at a good couple of hundred quid easily. Yeah, for a good one. Yeah, it was. It uh, was the Neocon. Yeah. 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 Namco Neocon. Yeah. Yeah, that was an odd controller. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is, with driving games, it just brings out the weird and wacky controllers. Yeah. Or yeah. at least it used to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now it just makes you buy a £300 steering wheel every different console gen- generation. Yes. Yeah, it does. I'm still absolutely gutted about the, the, you know, the current gen mm-hmm. haven't got backwards compatible like Can't steering remember? wheels. No, there's, um, I know uh, Project Cars, there is a list of steering wheels that are acceptable and there's not a lot of them have come over. So uh, especially oh. on the Xbox, the Xbox literally is, there is nothing unless it is the brand new one. It's, it's all to do with uh, licenses for drivers right. and stuff. And it's just, it's a nightmare. It's like the um, the fight stick situation, you know, in, in Street Fighter. You know, uh, this guy out of his, I, I want to say it's a guy called Cowboy who works, yeah. uh, works for Sony, um, wrote a special piece of code to make fight sticks work. Uh, just older fight sticks to work with right. the, the new PS4. Mm. And um, he just basically gave it away freeware. To, he said to any company, if you want it, have it, just use it. And now yeah. all the fighting games, well, all the fighting games are starting to kind of come around and go, yeah, all right, can we book, have your code, please? Yeah. And that's, that's why good. you've got backwards compatibility. And I wish someone would be, and unfortunately, like there's so many driving wheels out there, but yeah. I'd love to see that happen in the driving game community. Yeah. A little bit of geekery there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming back to um, Burnout Paradise, Criterion did go on to make after after that game a couple of very good installments actually in the mm. Need for Speed franchise in um, Hot Pursuit yeah. and um, Most Wanted. Yeah, Most Wanted. Yeah, Most, Most Wanted was yeah. was a very underrated game. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very. It's, it was sort of mini Burnout Paradise. Yeah, too. it was the most that they could get away with. With yeah. the Need for Speed franchise, because it could yeah. be it couldn't be bonkers like uh, Burnout no. could, but they did the best they could given uh, the Need for Speed franchise. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the team that was on Paradise had moved on or been taken off to do onto other projects, if I remember rightly. And I think this was like sort of a, the core or like the core designers from and from Paradise have been sort of moved on to to Most Wanted, if I remember rightly. But yeah, that that game has got a really weird, um, basically, I don't know, stealth with cars mechanic, where you're having to hide behind buildings to get away from the police, and right <laughs> on on top of the racing, there's this yeah, it's it's weird. It, it it does work, but it's it does feel odd. It does feel very odd. Um, yeah, but I I absolutely loved that game. But again, it's criterion can now nail the feel you know i think they yeah. just have that in their i mean in um, their bones what uh, do criterion still exist or have they been swallowed up by ea now i believe they still exist in name yeah because the, the next what, need for speed was made by um ghost games yeah um who i believe are swedish um so i don't know what criterion uh, and i'm just having a look now the new ones being made by um ghost as well so I don't know what Criterion are doing these these, these days, but um, God, I wish they just bring back the Burnout franchise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, just some, someone to resurrect yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, any yeah. someone, anyone. But I think, unfortunately, it's so much of a sacred cow now. Yeah, but, but it's, it's it's such a massive gap in uh, in the genre now. I mean, there isn't, there wasn't anything quite like it at the time, and there still isn't anything quite like mm. it. I mean, I um, when this month's PS Plus games came out, and I saw that. Um, and it's it's a different sort of game, but like Twisted Metal um, was available on PS3. I thought oh, I'll give that up. Maybe that'll 
somewhat scratch a, a burnout itch, but no, it's yeah. just not the same. No. Uh, so Criterion, just looking up on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, Need for Speed, Riot, Need for Speed Rivals, mm-hmm. and then they went on to do Battlefield Hardline or help with Battlefield Hardline. Yeah. Uh, again, so, there yeah. is quite a lot of driving in um, Hardline, and it does feel oh. a hell of a lot better than it yeah. did in any other Battlefield game. <laughs> what's, what's interesting is the TBA underneath Battlefield Hardline. It says, Untitled Criterion New IP, new driving game IP with ATVs, helicopters, wingsuits, etc. Announced E3 2014. Yeah, I, re- I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. There was, for the show, it was at EA conference, mm. wasn't it? Where they showed a bit of Mass Effect, almost like the drones, and then they showed this is what Criterion yeah. were doing. Yeah. Yeah, I no, I remember, remember now. Yeah, um, I've completely forgotten about that. Also, at least they're doing something. Hopefully, hopefully no, exactly. it'll be interesting. Yeah. See, the interesting uh, thing as well is go like going from the Need for Speed franchise is that um, Need for Speed Shift again is another game that's terribly overlooked, but is actually a wonderful entry if you want to sort of go back and if you know if you're on like a Xbox 360 or a, a PlayStation 3 and you want to get into into driving games that are not too hardcore. Um, like sim wise anyway Need for Speed Shift are a really wonderful way of getting into those there's some really interesting especially if you but you have to use the cockpit view because the cockpit view is amazing it um, it actually works as though the camera is your head in a helmet so it shakes and rattles and looks for apexes and stuff and the team that made Need for Speed Shift are the team that have gone on to make Project Cars so um, a lot of you can see a lot of the stuff that they learnt in Need for Speed Shift has now gone into project cars so um yeah there's a, there's a lot of lineage there with, with that developer and, and that's why i i am enjoying project cars because it reminds me so much of shift but yeah uh, so uh, there's a little linky there between the old and the new games one of my favorites in uh, the need for speed series was uh did I, have you ever play need for speed pro street uh, i've never played it but was that the which is it was the one where it wasn't an open world one. It, it didn't involve racing from the, the cops or anything like that. It was it was like That's track the one racing. Drift, and, had drift levels. Yeah, it had drift it. levels and it had like standard races and then it had um, a really good oh. um, What's the mechanic uh, drag where you had to mode. drag racing? Yeah, and you, yeah had to, and you had to, you had to spin the tires up to, to warm them right and then and then boom, yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting yeah. because it was a dead straight line, mm-hmm. but what you were doing, the whole technicality of it was to keep the throttle within a certain RPM. Yeah. And you were literally trying to keep it within like little green areas on the RPM dial. Yeah. Yeah, it was and keep it straight. But yeah, no, it was a, that was a real phenomenal like mode that no one ever really never really went anywhere, did it? No. Um, I mean they quickly abandoned that and went back to cops chasing races sort of mm. formula again. Which is a shame, yeah, but um, those drag races were, were brilliant. Uh, the drift races no, were good fun as well. The studio that made it, I don't think, exists anymore, unfortunately. EA Black Box. Yes. No, they haven't made anything since 2013. Oh, well, what a shame. I will go back in time a bit and go to Road Rash. Oh, Road Rash, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yes, that? was yeah. that the, that was the biking game where you had a chain? Was, you, yeah, basically yeah. you were a biker yeah. gang trying to t- smash people off bikes. Yeah. It's the game that everyone um, once yeah. once uh, Burnout Paradise was announcing bikes, are like, oh my god, Criterion are going to make Need for Speed like Road Rash. I think they even actually might have pitched yeah. it. If, if I remember the, remember the sort of like you know going back in the back in my mind that, that they basically put that mode in to say, yeah, we can do bikes let us do Road Rash but I don't think they ever got away with uh, it I think that was the kind of rumour and scuttlebutt uh, around that that's one game 
driving it out by day one. Roger. Yeah. I just, I mean, I've been well, playing. Have it you on... played what? Oh, is it Road Redemption? The no. There's a there's a game on no. the PC where they've basically tried to remake Road Rash. Road right. Redemption, I believe, plugging another podcast. I believe uh, Desmond on the Cane and Rinse podcast. Uh, he, I think, he's done a quick rinse of it. So you might want to have a look for it on there. But um, uh. yeah, it's not the greatest by all accounts. But um, yeah, yeah, someone's at least had a go at trying to, you know, trying to bring it back. But yeah, yeah, I remember those games like on back on the Mega Drive where yeah, um, uh, it was that kind of Mortal Kombat area where it was just like, oh, he's got blood and. You can knock yeah. people off bikes and crush people. It's great, yeah. Uh, I used to go flying for miles <laughs> over a room, brought to your bike. Yeah. Oh, that's that always drag. freaked me out and outrun when you flip <laughs> when you flip the car over and you came flying out of it, and it was just like, oh my god, they're gonna die. <laughs> or another one, probably my favourite game, one of my favourite games of all time, Mac and Machines Two. Oh, oh Mac yes. Machines, of course. Oh. Yeah, I didn't yeah. really get into that until uh, Mac Machines V3. Is it? I, I can't remember. Is it ninety six? Which has got the? Which is the cart with the two? Basically, it's got two joystick ports on the top of it, so you can play four player. Yeah, yeah. It's two or ninety six. It's one of them. I just said, right, we'll have four player on this, and it was, that was quite innovative, wasn't it? Because it was on the Mega Drive. Slap your cart in. Two little ports on the little cart. Yeah, it looks really weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great. That is. It's, oh, but my, Micro Machines is wonderful because it is that thing of you're looking. The, the levels are. It's the levels. Uh, uh, what yeah. make that game they're, they're so well designed the, the art is beautiful um, yeah. you know you're looking top down onto what you know could be a pool table it could be your, your breakfast table with you know your cornflakes in the way and you're yeah. racing around that it does look like you're playing micro machines you know and then to have that lovely that, that really I know it, it's it's, a, it's a, tight, a loose feel when you go when you're drifting into a corner but also yeah. so precise at the same time that you know you've got yeah. control at all times even though you're absolutely yeah. hammering it and all from the top down perspective this see again we haven't really spoken about there oh, was a right. whole era of top down and isometric games that yeah. uh, you know like sort of Ivan Man is it Ivan Man Stewart's off-road racing Ivan yeah, Ivan Iron Man Stewart's off-road racing and yeah. Super Sprint uh, Super Sprint yeah uh, Supercars and Supercars 2 yeah. Supercars 2 was wonderful because you had the you could have rockets front and rear in your car and that was, that was made by the same team that made uh, Lotus Esprit Challenge. Oh, nice! Yeah, Gremlin, and uh, yeah, you could. It was like you could fight. You could start on the start line and just push forward back, and that would release rockets forward and back, and you take out the two cars in front and behind, <laughs> and you know that, that kind of thing. And there was all kinds of weird and wonderful, like not really too weird and wonderful, but yeah, like uh, you know, like upgrades and stuff. But yeah, uh, what, what other sort of isometric sort of um, races can you remember? Well, like I said, uh, Micro Machines V3 was the, the, the big one that I, I got into. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's got some of my fondest ever, like, um, couch multiplayer uh, memories yeah. with the... You've got the multi-tap, um, mm. four controllers, and uh, two people apiece sharing a, a controller each. Um, Eight-player Micro Machines is oh. was just absolutely oh. insane. Yeah, it, 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 there's, there are certain games that are sort of unofficial party games yeah. and, and Micro Machines is definitely up there you know like sort of it was always like sort of gold, like GoldenEye was one of those type of games and Micro Machines is definitely another one of those uh, and uh, go on. what was good about the Micro Machines sorry is like used to save the scores used to save be saved on the cart didn't they yes three times and I remember trying to beat my friends on that toilet 
<laughs> toilet truck. I used I to try and beat you. my friends on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only said again in the iPad era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but used to it was like drag stripping used to hold the toilet as hard as you could with your tires. Yeah. But and just to be that little millisecond like you did on that Mario Mario Kart. Yeah. This used to be done on the toilet. It was amazing. Yeah. Like couch play. And there, just... there is a sort of um, uh, because we're lacking a lot of uh, couch co-op nowadays, and and I think a lot of driving games benefit from having couch co-op and like you say, being next to your friend and being able to like you know jostle for position and and have a bit of you know banter between the two of you as well. Yeah, that that always made a, game, a driving game for me. Talking of um, isometric games as well, another one uh, that you should try and pick up is, uh, is what's it called, Renegade Ops, which is um, which is a wonderful game. You're sort of uh, this, oh, I don't know, it's a guy goes out in a jeep into the jungle to t- take out drug cartels and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it, it's a twin stick shooter that is an isometric driving game. It's really, really good. And you can pick it at the moment. It's in the Humble store for about £2.80 something. And um, yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. But like you say, your left stick actually controls your, your Jeep and your right stick controls the turret on the top that shoots. And that's, that's, that's a really wonderful game. I can't recommend that highly enough. Motorstorm released. Yeah, is it the RC something? Yeah. yeah on the Vita. Yeah, and then Codemasters, I, th- I might have it actually, I think I got it. Codemasters released Toybox Turbos. I think... That's with that's Micro Machines without the license. Oh, nice! I think that's on PS3, PC, 360. I think it is. But I've been that coming out early this year. I ain't got around to playing it, but I'm pretty sure it's like Micro Machines without the license. Talking of of uh, bonkers racing games, um, I did say I'd come back to it earlier on. Simpsons Hit and Run. <laughs> I've got very fond memories of that game. Uh, not only because it was like you know it was it was a, a you know a big Simpsons fan and it was the chance to drive around all of Springfield, but it was a really really good crazy taxi esque race point to point racing game. Did either of you two play that at all? I've I've never played it, but I've no. always heard good things about it. PS2 and original Xbox era. If, if you ever see it cheap in the oh no you can't get PS2 games on no not not on the PSN no no, no you would literally have to hunt that out in a bargain bin somewhere yeah. I've still got my PS2. I might see if I can find a copy. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's go right up to date then. Um, have you, are you are we playing? Are, are you guys playing anything now that you would recommend? I mean, it's it's a bit thin on the ground. I mean, it's not like back in like you say back in the old days where you could pick up a million kart races or a rally game or an F1 yeah. game or so on and so forth. Like I stuck with the, with the Forza series right through till Forza Four. I uh, haven't got an Xbox One. So I haven't played either of the the new ones. I got drive club uh, on the ps4 and i i do enjoy that game it's kind of in the muddy middle ground between racing sim and arcade racer it's kind of like a yeah. a little bit of both in terms of the handling uh, you can't chuck yeah. it around corners but you you can be a little bit more aggressive than you can in a, in, mm. a, in a proper sim looks absolutely stunning yeah. the weather effects, uh, the weather are, effects absolutely are amazing yeah that, the weather yeah. effects are brilliant um it's just uh, I, I, it'll tide me over until a new gran turismo comes out but um yeah i'm just Which be waiting a while yeah i'm just hankering i'm hankering for another gran turismo so i love the fact that we've we've gone this far and we've only really cursorily talked yeah. about gran turismo <laughs> yeah we should probably speak a little bit more about that because that introduced me to um 
quite a lot of other elements of racing like that I hadn't yeah. seen in, in games before. They're, they're, that existed in games, but I hadn't seen them myself. Like uh, when they introduced in Gran Turismo 2, I believe, uh, yeah. the endurance races. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'd never done anything like that in a racing game before. Um, the, the one that was, uh, I remember very fondly, um, there was one that was about four or six hours long or something like that, um, yeah. that was on the, the street track that looked a bit like San Francisco, very hilly sort of street track. And um, I've got fond memories of, of uh, me and a mate just passing the controller, taking it in shifts to complete this race, <laughs> yeah, trying to keep did... the, the, the tyres healthy um, so we could take a minimal number of pit stops and nice um, yeah a, a friend and i uh, not last new year's the new year's before mm-hmm. um his girlfriend was working new year's uh, new year's eve yeah um uh, and so was mine and so we ended up basically coming together sitting in his house new year's eve and we went right that's it we're gonna do a 24-hour race <laughs> and and we were gonna do it on le mans and you know that was it we picked this car up it's a formula one car because it was the fastest <laughs> car we had yeah and away we went and then it's the night started drawing in and then it got dark <laughs> about 12 hours in and then we realised that Formula 1 cars don't have lights <laughs> <laughs> and that was the f- most fun sort of 12 oh. hours <laughs> trying to go on 6 hours waiting for the light to come back because all you're doing is just f- having a black screen and following a dead just a blue line that was painted on the floor it was absolutely hilarious and we were crying with laughter it was just so stupid but yeah it's wonderful absolutely wonderful but um, yeah the Gran Turismo series was fantastic like introducing the whole idea of having to get licenses yes yeah you know, and, then, and that way is t- well that yeah but that was a great yeah. way it was tutorialising mm-hmm. techniques and everything that you'd need to go through the whole game yeah and it was a wonderful way of teaching you I'd recommend it to anyone like especially with like the most recent um, Gran Turismo to try and get those and play through those just to get a, a grounding on how to really like you know handle cars and use the suspension weight yeah and stuff well like the, way, the, the, the fact that it deliberately gated the the, the, the next level of, mm. of content behind those licenses and yeah. then very cleverly gave you a particular challenge and a particular vehicle which if you could get through um yeah. you would have the skills to be able to handle the next set of tracks and the next set of vehicles yeah i mean the problem with that is obviously with the gating it literally locked you out yeah and that was it you couldn't get any further and if you did not have the skill you just couldn't do it that was it for you yeah. and that's not the greatest piece of design but uh, again it's wonderful if if it works for you and you, you can push through those stages yeah you know but um i just love the fact that like um in Gran Turismo it's, it's so weird like with, with 5 especially you, it's so weird that there's so much you just think oh it's a driving game you know driving games a driving game a driving game but it's these weird little nuances you have especially with the sim racers and, and how they feel like with um, with the Forza series I find that errs more towards the arcade style mm-hmm. and they sort of round all the edges off everything Yeah. whereas with the Gran Turismo because they model the suspension, like with Gran Turismo, they model the suspension and the kind of um, the mechanics of the body roll and stuff a lot more. So when you're going into a corner, um, if it's off camber, you, you'll find that the car's trying to pull away because of the away from you because of the body roll and pushing you wider and wider and wider. Whereas in Grand, uh, whereas in Forza, because it's modelled more on um, tire, like the, it's the tires and the rubber hitting the road is actually what they model, and with the because it's all 60 fps. That's 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 where they get their kind of feel from, is is the actual tire models. Yeah. And um, so that way, if you're going around an off-camera corner, 
though it's trying to push you out wide, it's pushing you out wide, not with a lurch, but more of a smooth drift. Mm. And that's because they're modeling the tires and not the body body roll so much. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see the difference between the, the, the two games and the sort of like Project Cars is kind of more towards the Gran Turismo side than the than the um, Forza side. But yeah, it's just really weird. They are essentially the same type of game trying to hit the same time of type of market, but they're just so subtly different. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting to see that, but not a lot of people are going to would pick that up unless they're playing hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, or like really geeky like me, and (laughs) and, you know, into suspension settings. It's Project Cars. Everything's open, isn't it? Yeah, everything everything's open. Nothing's locked. It's weird in as much as um, everything's open, but uh, like there's no no real UI to speak of. It it feels like Mm. a PC game from about. I don't know 2006, where it's just like <laughs> here is black type, like white type on a black background. Like pick your race, pick your car, and then go. But then once you get into the actual race, it's really technical. Like you say, you feel all the body right. roll, you feel all the, you know, you're having to like I'm checking mirrors when I'm when I'm trying to like when I, if I'm going into a corner and I've left a little bit of space up the inside I'm actually checking my wing mirror to see if someone's coming because I'm going to cut them up cut them off yeah. it's that kind of racing and um, it's, it's very very technical in that respect and it's just like you get lovely things where you're going they'll say oh uh, the rain is predicted for X time in this race and then literally you'll be driving around it'll be dry 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 and all of a sudden the rain will come down you've got slick tyres on you've now right. got to get around three quarters of the track on wet tyres and the, the handling completely changes just because it's raining and you're trying to dive into the pits and change your tyres <laughs> and get back out again on, on wets and there's an air of excitement that yeah. just a weather system can create and and it, it does. There's lovely little touches in it as well. Um, like I said, it's it's very bare bones, but then it, they've put all the care and attention into into the actual racing itself. And like, but there's lovely yeah. little details where if you're doing a race weekend and it's uh, or like a race like um, like a race weekend, you can start on say the Saturday morning, and because you've got to get the qualify the practice, the qualifying, and the first race done on Saturday, the practice will be done at say seven in the morning. So at seven in the morning, there's dew and there's mist and there's a low sun. If you then go onto the first practice, that's at like later on in the morning. So the sun's higher in the sky, the dew's maybe like the, li- the mist's right. lifted, it's a little bit brighter. Then you go into the race and it's like fully sunny and uh, normal. And then, you know, yeah. uh, like if you say you've got like a two race day, two races on the same day, like the second race will be in a low sun, sunset, and it completely changes the look of the the track, and you'll get that all over one, you know, like say one race day or one race weekend. Right. And it's just a lovely little touch where it actually feels like you're progressing through a day, a race day. Yeah. You know, yes. Yeah, but it's it's so subtle. But it's I, I didn't notice it. It was only like when it, I think it was I started one and it was misty in the morning, and then it was like suddenly like daytime for the race, and it was like. Hold on a minute. That isn't actually a weather fix. It's actually like progressing through the days. Just like a lovely little bit of attention to the detail and stuff like uh, again with like say from the need for speed shift where um, you've got the helmet cam. The helmet cam will actually slightly move to the left or the right to look for the apex that you're trying to hit. So it's actually a guide for you to turn in. Oh. And it, it does lovely yeah. little touches like that. So you'll be 
hammering up to a corner and then all of a sudden you'll just see your, the, the camera slightly pitched to say the right and then you'll know right that's my cue to turn in and then you turn in to hit the apex yeah it's just lovely little bits like that you just think oh this is great and and if you could just build it you know if you had the money of a microsoft and you had this wonderful forza ui behind it and you know all the bells and whistles mm. and presentation this could be really something but the actual racing and the race again the racing itself is modeled brilliantly and and you are really really having to like jostle for position and and, and hang back and if a car in front you know you're faster than the car in front of you you can't just go crashing into the side of it because you're knocking the wing off your car or whatever you've got to sort yeah. of tactically know right i'm faster than him on this corner and i've just got to wait for a gap or you know you are always looking mm. in your rear view mirror for something to come past you which not a lot of car games have done and it's only stuff like the original Toka series that I always remember for being like very aggressive yeah. on the AI of coming past you, yes. trying to you yeah, know trying yeah, to jostle yeah. you out of position and stuff. So it does feel a little bit like the Toka games in that. Respect. Yeah, that was always part and parcel of, of real life touring car uh, racing. Yeah, the crash and the crash and the bash and the sort of four cars going into one corner. Yeah, uh, you get yeah. that quite a lot on Drive Club as well. But I've got a feeling that's more to do with the fact that the AI is driving and completely ignoring where you are and is just taking the line whether yeah. you're there or not. Yeah. Not not like Gran Turismo yeah. where everything is on a prescript line and you must drive it. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Always frustrated me. Always frustrated me. Coming back to Gran Turismo, uh, there was one aspect of it, of, of that series that they introduced, which I really didn't like because I was such a big fan of V Rally and Colin McRae Rally. When they introduced rally elements in, I think it was Gran Turismo 2, um, they really didn't feel very good. Uh, the tracks no. didn't feel like rally tracks, they felt like no. really ice. wide open. Yeah, they felt like it felt like you were, felt like yeah, yeah, you were driving on ice. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Um, it didn't work very well, but it did give us. Um, the greatest Gran Turismo vehicle in the the, the <laughs> Suzuki Pikes Peak. Yes, that car was a monster. It was like once yeah. you got it, it was like cheat mode was on. You could just win any race. Yeah, that was it. It was all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what Pikes Peak was, but I certainly found out after. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh god, why has there not been a, a a good hill climbing game? I always seem to remember that that the tr- trick with Gran Turismo was to buy the Subaru Estate. Yeah. The, oh, the WRX, yeah. yeah, because that was just had amazing handling and was so quick. Mm. But like, you could buy it second hand, yeah. and that would get you through a real serious chunk of that game yeah. before you really needed to spend any money. And then you could start, you know, harvesting the cash. Is that something that Gran Turismo introduced? The idea of having a career and having to spend money on vehicles and and. Um well, I say upgrades, but I don't. I don't think many racing games. Not necessarily upgrades. because, like, like Ivan I Man Stewart's had the whole kind of you know you, you had races and yeah. picked up money bags, mm-hmm. and then you like the same with Supercars too as well. You were you were taking your race race winnings and doing that, so it has okay. been been around. But I think that was kind of more. Yeah, that, yeah, that that was just more refined, I suppose, in Gran Turismo. Yeah, yeah, and, and the in- mm. infinite customization options where you could take a car and yeah. make it feel like your own. Yeah. yeah, I mean that—that's one thing that I do love in, in in driving games in general. Is like Gran Turismo just gives you that to the nth degree, and you can tweak as many settings as humanly possible. Um, mm. I again going back to Micropro's Grand Prix, Greg, um, that was one game that really had the immersion. It was one of the first games I'd ever played where you could take a Formula One car and actually tweak all the settings on it. And it just there's something about that that just makes it feel right. This is me, and this is mine, and I'm I'm. It gives you something to tinker and hone down on. 
And it's, yeah. you know, it's like with most games, it, there's always an element of tinkering that you suddenly get obsessed mm. with, you know, whether it's a Dark Souls or an RPG or something, you know, you, you, you always find a system to hone in on and, and make it yours, you know? That's, that's yeah. something I always found odd, in that, given I'm, I'm such a big fan of, of uh, racing sims. I've never, and, and a fan of Formula One, I've never gotten into mm. proper Formula One games. I just yeah. cannot get my head around them. Um, yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a different breed. Yeah. Um, I think is it last one I really played obsessively was F1 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was a, right. it's, it's a great game, but it's, you have to go into it thinking, right, I just want to, I want to pretend that I'm Lewis Hamilton yes. and I'm on the, and I'm on the track and you've got yeah. to get into that mindset because they, they're not, they're not fun. No, they're no, incredibly they're, they're, difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and they they should really only ever be played with Asteria. Yeah, yeah. Because that's when they feel fun. Because the thing is with those is, I can't remember which one it was, uh, which driving game it was, but um, I I seem to remember it was around the Gran Turismo era. There was a a Formula One game where you could assign the buttons on the actual front of the steering Mm. wheel. So you could set, uh, you could tweak the brake balances up and down as you were driving. So you know like where you watch a Formula One race now and they're tweaking all the dials and moving things while they're racing. You could actually do that. Yeah, and um, you know, and you could like you 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 know, yeah. the first section is is all um long corners, so you adjust the brake balance one way to give you like you know a bit more speed, but then you could then go click 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 down a couple of stages and then change the brake balance back the other way and you know into the twisty sections on the second half of the track, mm. and yeah, stuff like that is you know, once you get into that real kind of nerdery, then they. That's where the Formula One games really come into their own because you are yeah. doing the kind of geeky stuff that they're doing actually in the in the in the races themselves, you know. Yeah. But you've got to have that, like I said, yeah. you've got to have that sort of foot pedal and the rumble and the, and the steering wheel to really get the most out of those games. I don't patience. think you get that out of the. You've got to have lots of patience, and patience. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the reactions yes. as well because yeah. everything comes at you at about a million yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, it's just the physics of of uh, Formula One car is just so. Uh, so so much more different than than a regular car, and the fact that yeah. it, it is all you get almost all of the grip from downforce. So you got to do almost no everything grip, at yeah. speed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I yeah. was just I'd spin out on every single corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, I've never been a tweaker, so I've always gone for mm. the simplest methods. You yeah, know, you're, you're the guy that the so, Forza's made for, where you just go right, make this A class or make this S class. And it just attaches yeah. all the, the right parts for that. Yeah, that's probably me. Yeah. And then, like, for the Gran Turismo, I only played the first one and didn't really enjoy it, didn't really get into it, and mm. just didn't play anymore ever since. I yeah. think that's what's made me fall out with the PS2 era of the games. You know, like, used to enjoy V Rally, quite a simple game, you know, Sega Rally, those types of games. And then it sort of got him back into it with, like, the Sonic and. Sonic All Stars Racing Transformed and yeah. things like that. Have we not um, mentioned that yet? <laughs> so, oh, it's a wonderful yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the the best alternative to Mario Kart you can have yeah. is Mario. Yeah. Is that Sonic game. Yeah, I used to think that like the, the best challenger to to the Nintendo karting games was uh, Crash Team Racing, and then when the first uh, Sonic and All Stars Racing came along, I just thought, yeah. this is incredible. Um, yeah. I hadn't played a... Uh, Don't get it on the Vita, though. Um, no, no. I mean, oh. I've, I've played it on 360, and I got the Vita 1 free on PS Plus a while ago. And the Vita 1's mm. all right, but 
uh, if you can play it on an actual controller, it just handles <laughs> so well. Yeah, it's um, wonderful. It's and, and the fact that all the tracks span through all the years of Sega yeah, and they're yeah, all retro yeah. throwbacks and yeah, there's there's so much fan service in there. Oh, it's yeah. kind of. Yeah, it is, um, it is the Sega version of Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, although it, it, it feels a hell of a lot faster than Mario Kart ever, do, ever, mm. ever did. Um, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a lot a lot quicker. But having said that, the uh, the 200cc mode in Mario Kart 8 is oh. a bit special. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never, tra- special. never tried that, unfortunately. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to have a go of it, man. Yeah. It's, it's, bru- it's brutal. Yeah, Absolutely I need to brutal. pick up a Wii U. Um, Quite desperately, because I need to play. I need to play that. Um, the last one I played <laughs> was uh, Mario Kart Seven on um, the 3DS, and um, probably the best, well, probably the best yeah. handheld racing game um, I've ever played. That 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 was a that was a brilliant uh, entry in the uh, in the series. Which Mario Kart is it that holds like the record for like longest in the charts or something? I want to say it's Seven Mario Kart Seven, but. I- um, what do you mean in the individual charts for the platform? Because <laughs> yeah, that like, wasn't that hard it... on the 3DS for a while. <laughs> no, no, I think I think in general, I think it's like one of those games that never dropped out of the of the UK chart for some ridiculous amount of yeah. time. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, it, it was, was. It was. It was. Because um... it was the thing that basically I think it was on. Oh, was it? What was the version on the DS Lite? It was just one of those games that was basically like mums were buying it for their kids, yeah. and it just never. And but then they were buying it pre you know pre-owned and it was just constantly cycling and constantly never out of the charts i can't oh. remember which version it is and I can't, I can't be bothered to look it up on on wikipedia but yeah there was there was a bit of a weird phenomenon that was the first nintendo game i ever played uh, where it felt like the developers understood how the internet works and um, managed to get a really solid uh online multiplayer system built in um yeah. like an absolutely zero lag uh, it wasn't split into regions, and so you'd quite often be playing against um, Japanese players and getting yeah. utterly destroyed by them. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, the the, the the online multiplayer Mario Kart Seven was 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 fantastic. Um, I need to dig that out and play it again. Oh, well, there's one more game I think we should talk about before we end this discussion and move on to our list submissions. Is um, Rocket League? Because um, oh, yes. we were talking earlier about having a racing game that doesn't have, you know, lacking racing games that have their own style and their own feel. Yeah. Now, uh, probably a lot of people listening to this are going to are thinking, you know, we're going to argue that um, it's not a racing game. It has a car. You race around, yeah. but yeah, and it and it is. It's a it's a driving game. Yeah. We're talking about driving games, not necessarily racing. Games. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's but it but it does have a lot of elements of racing about it. I mean, you spend most of the game trying to uh, to outrace uh, another player from the other team to get to the yeah. ball. It's you're always yeah. racing for the ball, uh, racing to make that interception, um, or racing to to get to the ball and try and knock it into the goal before the defender can get there or whatever. Yeah, it's utterly bonkers. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it, just a mixture of the weird physics of the game where you, your car can jump and fly and flip. Yeah. But also, just absolutely spot on handling. Yeah. Yes, you know, yeah. The, the to be able to, you know, yeah, like re- to be able to reverse at speed, spin, do a J turn, go the other way, and then jump and then flip and knock the ball into the net. That kind of th- just if you watch some of these kind of like high level players, you just think, how on earth are you doing this? <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely. I mean, I'm, I struggle. I absolutely adore Rocket League. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful game, a wonderful idea, and it's just oh fantastic but i struggle with it i struggle yeah, with yeah. the physics i struggle with being able to hit the ball there is there, there is something i'm missing and um, one day it will just suddenly click and i'll and i'll get it 
but yeah it's just that it's, it's, the, it's that game and it's like I love you but I hate you at the same time yeah I, I, I have want, that same make me want to smash my TV I have the same relationship with it and like I'll I'll go on one night and go on a five game losing streak and, yeah. and feel that I'm terrible at it yeah. and then go on the next night and have an amazing game and then score game. 10 goals oh, yeah. yeah and then yeah. score an amazing goal and think yes I am the boss and then I'll go on the Rocket League subreddit and there'll be some little gif of uh, some pro level players scoring absolutely yeah. incredible goals and yeah. I think I should probably just retire now <laughs> <laughs> but I think that game that allows anyone can play because there's no differences yeah. in the vehicles no it's, it's just, just cosmetic yeah yeah it's just cosmetic whether you've got big tyres low tyres you've got the vans or what, you've got the buggies or whatever yeah, it's got that wonderful mix of fun and like you say there's there's all the fun there there's all the just pick it up and play element mm, of it yeah. but it's also got a really hard high end end game as well as yeah. it, if you like so it's got all three elements covered it's incredibly yeah. easy to pick up but incredibly difficult to get very good at yeah um, and that's what all yeah. the best games are unfortunately yeah so. yeah <laughs> So we've got some submissions from uh, other members of the LGR crew and some of our community. Lee says uh, about Mario Kart 8, a game that everyone keeps talking about and I need to play. Mario <laughs> yeah, I know. It. <laughs> so Lee says, uh, Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U is a genuine and slightly unexpected pinnacle in the franchise. Who honestly thought going in that the game was going to be this refined, this innovative in track design, and what about all that added value in DLC? Well done to Nintendo for taking a focused inspiration from past entries in the series, but also from notable writers rival car uh, races such as Sega All-Stars Racing, especially its sequel Transformed. The perfect type of racer for my tastes and uh, driving abilities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, from, from what I gather, anyone from Nintendo has ever mentioned the Sega games out loud. No. Um, but uh, uh, from what I've heard like, people say that things like this 200cc mode um, feel like they were yeah. inspired by yeah. what uh, was done in the in the Sega games, or at least Nintendo's answer to them. Yeah. Also, I think um, as you were saying earlier, that I think the Smash Brothers um, really had a hand in making Mario Kart Eight better as well. In as much as I think it's going yeah. more that way, you know, with the enlarged roster and and kind of you know, like you say, throwback mm. tracks and that kind of stuff being brought forward. Yeah. So yeah, I think that those two were you know, the Sega and All Stars Racing and and then. Smash Bros. were two massive influences on making that game, like you say, so refined and so, like you say, everything just so, so, it's so much attention to detail and in the level design and, and mm. the aesthetic and everything about it. So, we've had uh, loads of interaction from the community about driving games. It's actually been quite phenomenal. You know, you, you mentioned driving games and everyone seems to have come out of the woodwork and everyone's got a different favourite. It's great. So, uh, the first uh, thing on Twitter that we've had from the community was from uh, Stuart Garrard. And he basically just says, Mario Kart 8, end of debate. So uh, obviously he's uh, in okay, agreement with I get with it, I should buy it. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's, just, everyone's just basically like, demanding you buy a Wii U and Mario Kart 8 <laughs> at this point. Stuart Neal, that's certainly Stuart. He says, rock and roll racing for the music. Micro Machines 2 for the innovative J-Kart. And Wipeout 2097 for smooth sci-fi racing. Can't knock any, any uh, of those three. Especially Micro Machines 2. <laughs> um, Dan Ragnar uh, at Justin underscore Knowles on Twitter says uh, Simpsons hit and run yes uh, I'm a terrible driver so being able to take uh, shortcuts and not be punished for hitting small stuff was great also was fun to explore Springfield 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was a, a really nice representation of of all of Springfield. It was quite a big map, actually, if I remember correctly, for, at least for the time. So, uh, film uh, films on wax. Uh, Rage Racer for PS One, Top Gear Two for the SNES. Rage Racer always felt like a better game than the first Ridge Racer games, uh, but is underrated compared to them. Oh, I won't have I won't have that. Ridge Racer Type Four is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> actually, when, when we finish recording this, I'm going to boot up my Vita and play some more. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Cullen at Fiori AC3 says Forza Horizon 2 as arcade slash sim as you like great cars, sun, sea and racing trains add the soundtrack and it's driving perfection and it's not just point A to B or racing to the line or quick travelling around the map no it's about the journey you take yeah again I have issues with the fact that if you need to race a train or a plane to make your racing exciting, <laughs> then you just need to get out. It's that is just set dressing and rubber banding, and it's it, there's no place in driving games. But then again, in a Forza game, I yeah. should say it does have a place in driving games. It doesn't have a place in Forza games, but that's that's another issue. But it, well, it found its, its place game. in the crew, yeah, it and it was rubbish. Yes, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, like I said, I, I have bigger issues with that. It, it, I, I feel it's dumbing down the series, but. I've been there. I'm going to walk away now. I'll let, I'll let you get on with the next <laughs> So the next comment comes from uh, Paul Gibson uh, at Flying Mutley on Twitter. Uh, and he says, Project Gotham Racing 2 spent far too much time playing that game. Yeah. And uh, that's an opinion that's seconded by uh, Zantiriad. Yes. Uh, Project Gotham 2 is phenomenal. Um, I want to say it was on the original X on the Xbox 360. I think, I think it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that, just the whole idea, it, it was what sort of Forza mm-hmm. then became, but it was the more, it's basically Forza, yeah. but more arcadey. And having that whole QDOS system of like when you were going into slides and you were earning points, and yeah, just everything about that game is fun, fun, fun. And the right side of arcadian fun with the beautiful graphics and the kind of uh, real cars. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful game. It's really, really well worth mm. picking up. Um, uh, they, they brought out Project Gotham Racing 3 which never really kind of hit the same same heights it never felt yeah. quite right to me and I think they added bikes in that as well but um, yeah just yeah Project Gotham 2 is, is highly up there as, as one of the best sort of modern day sort of arcade racers you know not, not like, like your Rage Racers and your Ridge Racers but that kind of halfway point between sim and arcade yeah it's wonderful so uh, Jack Smith Cryogenesis um 3D Super Hang On and 3D Outrun are must-plays on the 3DS. For hidden gems, check out AI Race, no subtitle, on DSiWare. So, yeah, some handheld stuff there to, to check out. Yeah, this like, sounds like a man of your own heart, Chazzy. Yeah. For goal yes, making mate. at the Sonic Mall, Jeff Crammon's Micropose GP. Yes. It just felt so immersive at the time, and he's a big, big Project Cast fan at the moment also. Yes. He's a man after my own heart. Yeah, I think I actually it. tried to chase a few of his times on a few races, and and I know uh, Sonic Mole is very very quick. So yeah, I respect anything he says about driving games. Um, da- uh, David Quayle at uh, Booster DQ on Twitter says uh, he also says Project Cars with a steering wheel on the Oculus Rift. Yeah, he's he's spoken to me a few times uh, about like Project Cars with the Rift, and he says just being able to turn your head and see cars. You know, out of the side windows, and it it just gives you that another level of immersion that's it. Um, you know, really, really, absolutely yeah. blows you away. <laughs> uh, he's, he also races. I think he's also done a lot of racing on um, i racing, which is something we didn't cover. Yeah. 
which is the um, the PC series that you subscribe to, and it's actually what real racers use to kind of get their head around how tracks right. work and stuff. But it has a whole sort of penalising system for crashing into other cars, right. uh, and it it basically gives you like a, a rating score of how well okay. you drive. So it actually incentivizes you to actually race properly and not just mm. crash into people. But it's actually proper, proper, full-on racing leagues, you know, like. But mm. and and it looks stunning. But yeah, you should check it check it out on Twitch one day because it is it is basically like watching a proper race weekend in a Formula One or something. You know, yeah. Some of the some of the Twitch stuff I've seen is like actual guys with proper commentators commentating on mm. races wow. and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's to that level of and degree. And I think the guy who one of the owners of iRacing owns Liverpool wow. Football Club. Wow. Yeah, so that's the kind of sort of money that's been pumped into that. Wow. Sort of like yeah. virtual horse racing, what you see in the bookies. Yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. So, uh, John Panic, Protofo, um, Arkham Knights Riddler races. Why? Because I'm a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, those Riddler races... Um, I mean, I wouldn't call Arkham no, a driving no. game. Well, yeah, no. no. Especially not with that tank. No. Awful. But the um, the Riddler races were fun. And to add that sort of kind of puzzle element to um, a driving game, you know, I haven't really seen that a lot in stuff. Uh, again, I'd go back to Burnout Paradise. There was a lot of kind of jumping from multi-story car parks to other mm. multi-story car park roofs and stuff like that that you could you know, do, and there was a lot of sort of throwing your car about in that. So that's the last time I kind of remember sort of platforming yeah. with a car. But uh, yeah, those Riddler Rid races as a, as a puzzle were quite interesting, if maddening. Yeah, they could get, they, they, they can get quite frustrating, but um, as long as you flick the, um, uh, the Batmobile over onto the uh, alternate control system so that the left trigger is the brake instead yeah. of turn into a tank, uh, it does handle all right. Um, considering it is a tank, essentially. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Riddler races are v- very challenging, but uh, at the same time, kind of fresh and unlike in mm. anything in yeah. any other racing game. Yeah. Bit of a departure. Yeah. 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 Just so we're talking about a PS1, it just reminded me of a game, Batman Gotham City Race from a PS1. Oh, yes. I never played that. I've gone about that. <laughs> I never played it. I just saw it on TV the other day. Nice. I don't think it's, don't think it's very good, though. <laughs> so we've had some uh, listener responses to uh, last month's chat on uh, strategy games. Um, something uh, it was, I wish I'd gotten involved in that chat because uh, real-time strategy games was the only sort of game I played for, for quite a long time when I was younger, and I'm still a big fan. Um Peter Cleves at tat underscore sun underscore on Twitter says uh, Ghost Recon Shadow Wars is a great turn-based squad strategy game on the 3DS. I can't say I've ever played that. No, I see it always it always sort of pops up on like an anim- mm-hmm. Amazon deal for about five quid or something. You know, it's one of those games. But yeah, I've heard yeah. good things about it. I did play a little bit of Fire Emblem Fire Emblem Awakening on. Can you class that as a strategy game? Mm, strategy you know, RPG. Strat- yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's about the closest I've gotten to playing a game like that on a handheld, to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> My good buddy Andy Palmer at uh, Remolapta on uh, Twitter. Uh, he says there's Civ Revolution on uh, the PS3 and 360, uh, but when it comes to RTS, you can't beat Age of Mythology uh, and Command and Conquer Red Alert 2 for accessibility and gameplay. And another vote for XCOM here. The iPhone slash Android port is amazing for the commute. Keep difficulty low and enjoy it for what it is. Um, XCOM is a, a 
is a fantastic game. I didn't get around to playing Enemy yeah. Within, and I am really quite cut up that the new one's only going to be on PC because my my PC's a apparently mess. coming to Vita ah, very soon. Okay, what the original yeah. or two? Apparently, from what the original. The original. Okay. Uh, the original. I'll replay yeah. it again. Yeah. So, <laughs> and on our, our, yeah. our iOS yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Little little fun story about mm-hmm. CivRev um, on the 360. Um, wonderful game to play if you are like me. You get on the exercise bike a lot and you yeah. want to play games. Yeah, that is the game that basically got me through probably about two stone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just to sit there and just play through game after game after game after yeah. game of Civ Rev because you don't really have to do much and so you don't have to worry about falling off the bike or getting <laughs> yeah. your hands all mixed up. So yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful game, Civ Rev. Also, I would, I'd throw into uh, RTS games just because I, I didn't hear the, hear the last one. Um, what is the, what's the Warhammer one? Um, Dawn, of War. Dawn of War. Dawn of War 2. Yeah, wonderful series of games. If you ever want to get into RTS games and want a, an accessible version to get into, Dawn of War is the one because you are only controlling one hero. But yeah, it's a wonderful game. Just completely, utterly bonkers Warhammer story that goes along with it. And uh, yeah, it's just and it looks beautiful on the PC. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that. That's my li- that's my little re- response, as it were. I'll just say StarCraft Two. Always, always yeah. StarCraft Two. <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah. I think s- sequel to Civ Rev is coming out on Vita as well. Civ Rev Two. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. That could so work on that with the, with the touchscreen. Yeah. Yeah. The iOS version of Civ nice. Rev is very good as well. If you're really jonesing for any more <laughs> Civ Rev, uh, I've, I've still got uh, Civ Five. I'll just stick with that for the time being. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I don't think you can yeah, play that on nice. exercise bike. No. no with your no. mouse. <laughs> with my mouse, yeah. I'd have to have one of those like, lap boards and it'd be wobbling about all over the place. Shout-outs. Well, thanks, thanks of all, first of all, to the Renaissance Men podcast, hosts Stuart Gerrard, David Bridge, and Medium for encouragement and support offered via Twitter, recommending our previous episode and complimenting us to keep up the good work. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Very, very kind of you. And thank you to Michael McKenzie of Moving Matters Podcast for appearing as a guest on the Tuned In section for this episode and for his kind words regarding the production editing of LGR so far and his endorsement of a range of different voices perspectives we try to include thank you very much yeah. as well cheers I, I, yeah. I listened to that the other day and it was really nice to hear him like say how well the mm. like shows put together and stuff and you know a lot of hard work goes into that so yeah like, we're really proud of it and it's nice to know that like someone else has picked up on that so yes really lovely of you to say thank, thank you. you cheers cheers man so let's get to uh, contact details and getting getting in contact with us. So if you want to have a rant at us about anything that we've said about driving games that you, you know, we've got something wrong or anything else you've heard in the or uh, show that you today, agree that Ridge Racer Type Four is the best. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, or you agree, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or if you just want to give, <laughs> if you want to give Mark absolute dogs abuse for not having played Mario yeah. Kart Eight. Then, uh, <laughs> then you could email us uh, or send mp3s to lapsgamerradio at gmail.com and that's the main way you can contact us or uh, if you want to get in contact with us on twitter it is at lapsgamer uh, you can also find us on and like us on our lgr page on facebook 
for some reason want to try and find us even though you probably already have <laughs> if you're listening to this uh, you can find us on Podbean at uh, lapsgamerradio.podbean.com and you can also find us uh, on iTunes and all the other places like SoundCloud and YouTube so yeah um, if someone's just given you this MP3 and said listen to this and you don't know where to find it that's where you can get us if you ever want to come and play with us uh, I mean not myself because I don't play on PC very often unfortunately uh, but you can join the Steam group at uh, steamcommunity.com forward slash groups for slash lapsed gamer uh, just a quick plug for our destiny clan our tiny little destiny clan um, I had a destiny hiatus recently as I, I believe I talked about um, yeah, yeah I have too. Um, and I'm jumping back in with both feet <laughs> yes same same but, here and it sounds as though I've got a funny feeling that you're on a PS3 and I'm, I'm on, on the Xbox a, yeah, PS4, yeah. So I think we've got all bases I think we've got uh, yeah. yeah sorry PS4 so I think we've got yes. both bases covered. So if if you have um, well if you have either system and you want to join our clan and you need someone to go on those nightfall raids or whatever the new series of mm-hmm. raids are or whatever, um, either system, then get in contact with us. Look for us uh, on the what's it yes, on the bungee yes. pages. So just like search clans for uh, Laps Gamer Radio, uh, and yes, you'll find join it in us. There. We are, we are mental for it. We are mad for it, as they say up and up north. And if you want an alternative to Destiny, uh, there, is a, there is a drive club, LGR. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, there's. Yes. Yeah. I'm a driving theme. I'm a, yeah, I'm a driving theme. Come and join us. I think it's a maximum of six. I don't know how many we've got in it there at the moment, but I'll tweet yeah. out another link to it and all that. But we do have a driving mm. clan on drive club. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe we should set a few uh, few nights to get a few people together. Yeah, I'll be up for that. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. Try and try, yeah. Try and set up a few uh, uh, game of nights. Try and set up a Rocket League game of night as well. Yeah. Oh, that'd be Absolutely. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'd have too many uh, people turning you down no, in no. the Rocket League. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you'll always, you'll always find a ringer somewhere. To yeah. <laughs> Next month's uh, playlist game, if you'd like to to play along before you listen to that section, is uh, Counter Spy. Um, we'll be playing through it on the Vita. Uh, it was a free game on on PS Plus not too long ago, but I think it's cross play with the PS3 as well and possibly the PS4. It's a sort of it's a 3D side scrolling stealth game, and I can't really describe it any clearer than that, to be honest. And <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's you. basically what it is. It's it's got a very um, kitschy sort of uh, 60s Cold War cartoony vibe about it, and it's. Think, think the think the start of the yes yeah like that. that's, that's a, that, that animation yeah that that's a good, a good comparison and the most most importantly it's got a score attack element in it as well so anybody else on your friends list who's playing it you'll be going head to head to try and beat each other's scores and it does get rather addictive the month after that uh, we will be covering the gargantuan Mass Effect one which is why we've given it a little bit longer before we tackle that topic um, yeah so if if you've got enough time between now and month after next, yeah. then get playing. So there's only about 50 if not, hours. <laughs> do what I'm going to do. If not, then do what I'm going to do and just jump on YouTube and run through yeah. a walkthrough uh, of someone else playing it. Because I've played that game mm. a million times and I can't remember everything. So I'm just going to go back. Yeah, there's walkthrough. so much to remember. Have a little refresher. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, if, if you're short on time. Yeah. On so a nice Wii game for next month and then a gargantuan game for the month after that. 
Just uh, leaves it to say, on behalf of all the LGR team, thanks for listening to LGR Show 3. Uh, we'll be back with another instalment just as soon as we can. Uh, until then, pick up the controller, get in touch with us and tell us what you've been playing. Feel free to play along with us for our nominated playlist games and look out for our Twitter and Facebook page for the next Topic Tombola subject announcement. Uh, we'd love your input on any segments or aspects of our show. Why not join us on a future episode? Um, and finally, goodbye and farewell. Detecting live... Verify location. Good evening. Tonight has been a wonderful experiment of human contact. A symbiotic relationship between man and machine and you. The human brain is capable of millions of connections. Each one is a memory, an event. Tonight shall be remembered not by one, but by thousands of these relationships. As you leave here tonight, close your eyes and travel back to here, to now. And always remember that this was one moment. You were not alone. And you felt something that thousands of others had felt. And it was... Lapsed Gamer Radio.